Hey, welcome to the 281st episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Sometimes I do movies. Sometimes I do off-my-mind topics on comics or movies or whatever, things in general. I'm currently doing John Byrne's X-Men The Hidden Years from 1999. So going back to that series to see how it holds up. And, you know, that's a comic that bridged the gap between the original series and Giant Size X-Men. And so it's it's been an interesting trip so far. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. Okay, so this week, catching up from last week, the movie feature is Megan. So you can hear all about that. Um, spoiler, I did enjoy that. Uh, Velma, the new uh, kind of Scooby-Doo, <laughs> not really, a series. That Two episodes dropped on HBO Max, so you can hear about that. And then along with that, we have the, fi- the finale, finally, the finale of His Dark Materials. And then the, the latest uh, National Treasure, Edge of History, and Star Wars Bad Batch. There was no Doom Patrol. Uh, I wasn't aware of this. I, I guess I should know because there wasn't a preview or anything last week. But I guess this is the mid-season break. So they did the same thing with Titans. And it's uh, the, the frustrating thing. I mean, it's great that there's still more. We still have half the season left. But the frustrating thing is it's not clear when. Like, I have no idea when Titans is coming back. I don't know if that's been announced yet. I haven't seen anything and with Doom Patrol, like I said, I had no idea. I, I just I was like, is there going to be one? And I'm looking at like how much, you know, stuff material there's going to be in this week. Is like, is it going to be too much? But it's it's not on. Oh, and then the other thing, uh, Servant season four has started started on Friday because I'm still trying to catch up and juggle everything. I think we're going to go like the one week behind route, which will make my life a little easier. Hopefully you're okay with that. Um, it's a great show. If, if you haven't watched it yet, Apple TV Plus, recommend catching up on, on those seasons. It's a half-hour show, so it just it's one of those like, no-nonsense shows. Each episode just you know gets gets the, the, the work done, like what it needs to do. So you should check it out. It's an M. Night Shyamalan show. It's weird and creepy and just, just really interesting. As far as the news, there's actually a, a bit a bit of news, it, it seems like. So one thing that I didn't mention last week, uh, it was a, I just missed it, the last minute thing, was uh, Wednesday season two is official. It is going to happen. So that's something that it seemed crazy that it wasn't announced right away. You know, they Netflix kept talking about how the show was breaking all these records, you know, so many people watching it, all these hours. Everyone's talking about it like on social media and, and uh, TikTok and whatever, but it they, they took a while, and so it's it's going to happen. We don't know when. There's no details on like story, plot, threads, or when, but it is going to happen. So that's great. There was a trailer for Ant Man and Wasp: Quantumania, and one of the things that I didn't I feel kind of stupid when I watch this trailer. I'm like, oh yeah. So I mentioned, I think I might have mentioned last week or before, how there's going to be this concept of time 
you know, Scott Ling losing to five years with his daughter, you know, not seeing his daughter grow up and all that stuff. And I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But then it's like, so yeah, time is a big thing. Kang the friggin' Conqueror is in this. So it's like, yeah, of course time is going to be a big thing. And so no spoiler, well, kind of spoilers, but one of the things is Kang is going to try to entice uh, Scott, about, you know, trying to get that lost time back. So will that happen? Is that possible? And I don't think Kang can be trusted, but maybe he's going to be a really nice guy in MCU. I doubt it. Uh, other interesting thing, uh, the, the producer, uh, Stephen Bruce Roussad, I think, uh, compares this movie to with Winter Soldier, basically how it's going to be changing the MCU like moving forward. So I'm like... Uh, Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie. Uh, that's you're, that's setting the bar pretty pretty high there, I think. So that's going to come out February seventeenth. Uh, the other Ant Man news is David uh, Dasmachian. So he played Kurt in uh, Ant Man. He's going to be back, which is gr- is great. But he's not coming back as Kurt. He's coming back as a new character named Veb. V E B. So no idea what what that means. Uh, with quantum medium, quantum, I mean, multiverse. Maybe is it just a he just looks like is it the same guy but different? I don't even know. Or is he? Is it just a matter of like how Gemma Chan played two different characters, and they're just it, you just ignore that, and or maybe we can't even tell. I I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, Kamal Nanjiani who was Kingo in Eternals. He mentioned that he has no idea. He doesn't know anything about Eternals too. Doesn't know when, if it's it's happening. He says, you know, he'd he'd like to. He says it'd be a shame if it was just a one and done. But there's been no anything yet. Like, hey, we're gonna start doing this. Then it, it felt like that they were pretty, like it was gonna happen, even though it wasn't the best received movie. I, I don't know how accurate that is. I, I feel like a lot of people didn't like it for whatever certain you know reasons or agendas. But I will admit, it's not like my favorite movie. I've only seen it once. I do want to see it again. It's just I don't have the time. But I'd li- I wouldn't mind seeing a second one just to see if they can flesh things out. Maybe have less characters, focus a little bit more on certain ones. So I don't know. We'll see. Spider-Man Across the Universe, they showed like teasers or images, you know, posters, whatever, for different Spider-Man logos. And I think there was like nine of them. And one of them, <laughs> I don't want to get too excited, but one of them was uh, Scarlet Spider. So I I don't even know what that's going <laughs> to... They better not have chasm in the movie is all, all I have to say. Uh, William H. Macy is going to be in the planet of the apes movie uh, no idea no details on his character is he gonna be a regular person is he gonna be an ape we don't know anything but the thing i don't know how much i've talked about this movie it is going to continue from war for planet of the apes you know it's gonna be some years after that it's not really clear how many years have passed so i'm, I'm really curious to see where they're gonna go and i'm really glad that they're not just gonna reboot it you know since you know disney acquired the rights from fox you know because they bought fox and everything so i'm glad that they're they're honoring what was done and they're just going to try to try to build on that which you know you i could easily see them like hey let's just start over but they i guess maybe realize that they did a good job so there's no no reason for that and that is going to come out on may 24th 2024 
so we have a while to see what else is going to happen. Uh, Dungeons and Dragon. I'm not super excited for this. I, I, I don't know. And I, I think maybe... I like Chris Pine, but sometimes I feel like he's a little too smarmy or whatever, you know, and it just feels like he's going to be the, the, the cool hotshot character and maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case. I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it, so we'll see. But they're talking about that that is um, Honor Among Thieves is going to be opening South by Southwest in March and because it, it's supposed to come out in theaters on March 31st, so it's not really clear when it's coming out. Uh, South by Southwest is the 10th through the 19th, I think. And it wasn't clear, is that going to be the world premiere? Like, what's the deal with that? But So you will be hearing about that in March. And then, sort of related, but not really, uh, Paramount Plus is also doing a Dungeons & Dragons series. Uh, there's no connection to the show. Which, um, or to the movie. No connection to the movie. I mean, I get it. That, that probably makes sense. But I, I kind of wonder, it's like, are they going to try to throw something in? I don't know. So... We'll see. Speaking of shows, Matt Reeves said that the Penguin series will tie into the Batman sequel. They don't have a, a premiere date yet or anything like that. I did see something that Matt Reeves is going to be talking. He's getting called into the office to talk to you know, James Gunn and Peter Safran about Batman 2. I'm assuming it's good things, hopefully. I mean, hopefully they're not calling him and say, oh, by the way, we're canceling it now. Speaking of canceled, uh, sort of. Not really. Maybe. It could be. Possibly. Snowpiercer Season 4 apparently is not going to be on TNT. And I'm like, what the heck? So this was like like late Friday news. This, this came out. I'm like, are you serious? It's like Season 3 ended like on such a cliffhanger. And I do enjoy the show. You know, I like the leads, like Jennifer Connelly. But there are sometimes I'm just like... Oh, you know, kind of rolling my eyes a little bit, trying, you know, where is this going to go? But it, it took, it, it kind of took some big, big steps towards the end. So I'm really curious to see like, what's going to be the payout and like, where, where are you going to go from here? So I guess the good news is it's not necessarily straight up canceled. And I, I, cause I think this was part of like the tax cuts that Warner brother was, was doing. Cause I'm pretty sure it was that, I think it's on Warner brothers, right? But I also think, I don't know if season four is complete because you know, they, they've been working on it for a while. But the studio got the rights to it. So they're going to try shopping it around. So hopefully they can find someone else willing to to buy it and air it and everything. And they also are interested in doing like a prequel and a sequel. They you know just want to build like a franchise out of this. Um, that could be interesting. I, I, I would be interesting to assist, or I would be interested in seeing a sequel. You know, we, we've seen some stuff about like the early days, some flashbacks, but not like super deep, but maybe, you know, go a little earlier. I guess it'd be a question of like, how early would it be? And cause you know, you have some of the characters like Jennifer Connelly's character and the Mr. Wilford character. Are they going to just like recast them or try to get them? I, I, I guess this, these are things I want to know. And in a sequel, you know, what does that mean? Like how, how far after is, would season four be like the last season of the regular Snowpiercer, And then they would continue it from there. Would it be continued like the next day, next year, next decade? So I don't know, but we'll have to see if it even happens. Carnival row season two is finally coming. So I guess there is delays because of COVID and everything like that. Um, the, the bummer, which 
I, I guess I'm not too bummed, but this is going season two is the final season. So I don't know how ratings did. I like the show. It, it, it was it was decent, uh, but I don't remember like people overly talking a lot about it. I mean, if you if you watch the trailers, it, I, I feel like they it's a very ambitious show. You know, they do a great job with with just the character designs and, and just the sets and everything. Yeah, so it's Orlando Bloom, Cara Delevingne. I, I just, I feel like it's not a cheap show. So I, I think, you know, there has to be a lot writing on it in order to be like, you know, maybe the bar is set higher in order for it to be successful. So this is coming back on February 17th. We'll see if I talk about it. I, I may, part of me, I feel like because it's, it's the final season, it's it's already, you know, it, it, should I devote the time to watch it and discuss it? when you know there's so much other stuff to do so i i think it'll be a matter of what else is on around that time how heavy how heavily loaded is the show and then the, the probably bigger contributing factor is are they going to release week by week or are they going to try to dump it all in, at once because if you do that then forget it i definitely will, will not cover it but then they're probably also going to show like you maybe it'll drop like two or three episodes at once which i hate when they do that too and i know some people like that but that's just me and it looks like the main focus for the season is like this big war battle you know fight between like the humans and the fae so looks like things are gonna be there's gonna be a lot of action Stephen amell is coming back to the flash somehow uh, you know as we talked about i mean it there's the one easy route that he he could come back as but Apparently, he wanted his return to be a surprise. You know, he's like, I like surprises, and so he he was kind of bummed with the way it happened. He, I think, he did like an Instagram live or something like that and talked about it. But he he says that you know he does understand why it happened because I, I think someone had commented how when he would go back, you know, he'd be out there shooting and people would probably see him, probably see him in costume or whatever, and you know, people are going to be talking and everything like that. So I, I do agree that it's probably for the best that they control the narrative and you know rather than try to you know worry about tiptoeing around and keeping things secret it's just like hey this is what's happening we're we're talking about this and rather than have like horrible jinky like images that are, are not like finished and just look really bad and have those leak out so that's fine but it's uh we'll, we'll see I, i'm really curious you know, we'll see. Speaking of return and not returning, Mike Colton, he doesn't, it doesn't sound like he doesn't think he's going to be coming back as Luke Cage. And, you know, he's, he says he doesn't really think about it. Uh, he's like, if they were, he's like, my, my card's pretty full. You know, he doesn't even know if he'd be able to do it. Uh, he said if, if he got a call and it worked out, that'd be great. But he'd also be happy to let someone else. He actually, I think he said he'd be happy, more than happy to let someone else take the role so i think he's just really he's like okay i i you know i I appreciate i you know respect or not respect but you know he really liked what they did but he's fine if it just doesn't work out if it's not in the cards because you know he's got plenty of other stuff to do so that's good for him speaking of also returning uh hugh jackman is apparently gonna be spending six months to get in wolverine shape and that was like one of the reasons why he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with Wolverine, just this constant workout. And that's great that he wants to maintain that shape and not just like, I'm going to put on a padded costume the whole time. So I guess because of Wolverine and with the nature of things, you know, he's 
there's probably gonna be some like battle damage and stuff like that so he's probably at some point gonna have his entire or portions of his like shirt removed or whatever so that's good i mean just imagine like man i gotta work out for and i'm getting paid to work out <laughs> that's what that's what i need i need someone to force me to do it um and then uh the last bit of news i believe is james gunn <laughs> god bless james gunn or whoever bless um james gunn he's uh debunking more rumors i, mean, I guess you know there's all some people talking about like who people cast as a uh, Superman. So someone from Euphoria. I, I'm not caught. I don't know anything about Euphoria. I've only watched, I think, two or three episodes. But someone from the show, I think, was rumored to be, you know, Clark Kent and something like that. And then someone's on Twitter is like, hey, any thoughts? And he's basically, he's like, yeah, my thoughts are we haven't even begun the cast for that. He, he says that they won't even start casting until the screenplay nears completion. And, um, he, he's, he says that they are going to be announcing a few things in not too long, but Superman won't be one of them. So it's just, I just don't understand. You know, we, we keep seeing all these different rumors that come up about DC stuff. And then he's like, yeah, that's not true. So, you know, I, I guess my, my curiosity is, are there people like legitimate or semi-legitimate sources telling people like, yeah this is what i'm hearing this is i'm rumbling and you know maybe this is really what they're hearing but it, it's just it's not right it's not accurate or are these people reporting on it or whoever first reports on it are they just making it up to try to you know get their name out there which i just think that's crazy because you know stuff like this when when these rumors come out um i'm sure whoever first reports on it you know they may get some traffic they may get something out of it but it just keeps like going and going like snowballing where then it, it seems like, you know, people lose the, like, the original source. So it's almost like it's, it's not worth it that much. And, and, but that works to their advantage because someone's making something up and then it's proven that to be false, you can't really point the finger at them. Cause you're like, wait, who first said this? So it's just, it just seems kind of nuts how there's like so many rumors and, I don't know. I mean, people, I don't know. People just get excited or, or what, but hopefully you're excited because, uh, that's going to be the end of the news. So we still have the rest of the show to look forward to. All right. With comic books at image, there was a new comic from, uh, Kelly Thompson and, uh, Meredith McLaren called black cloak. I wasn't really sure what to expect from this. And at first I'm like, Hmm. And then I, I really liked it. So, uh, Eisner award-winning writer Kelly Thompson heads image for the first time with Black Hole Cloak in an all-new series with artists Meredith McLaren, Blade Runner style mix mixes with saga-esque drama and a delectable fantasy sci-fi blend as two black cloaks try to solve the murder of a beloved prince in Kiros, the last city in a known world, before his murder tips the city into war. The mystery begins in a spectacular triple length first issue for $4.99 so I, I I don't know if it sounded like I was a little like hesitant or reluctant at the beginning so my my thing is um there's a little bit of kind of like fantasy sort of elements and it, it kind of feels it's for me it's, it's like that old-timey feel where I'm that's not my favorite genre when it's like it's like in the olden days but as you heard this is like the last known city so it's actually kind of in the future 
I believe, I feel like I read this comic so long ago, so it's like a week ago now. But basically, things have evolved, and, and we have like different creatures, you know, they're not just humans, they're, there's like other type of beings. So I think that may be because of like evolution or mutation or something like that, unless I'm totally forgetting blinking. I read this when I was at the airport last week, and my, my horrific, you know, delayed... Listen, I talk about that, but uh, the idea, I, I really like what's set up here and the idea of these black cloaks, you know, they're kind of like these officers or whatever. And, and just the idea that there's, there's like some magical ability in this world and there's different creatures and there's like different hierarchies and, and uh, that's what our main character, you know, there's clearly a history to this, this character and um, some people don't look too kindly on her position or who she is. And, you know, she's kind of thought as a, as a traitor and, um, and the details at a murder and with the prince and I, I feel like the fact that it's a prince i think that I feel like that's like a spoiler because i didn't know i didn't read the, the full synopsis i was just like kelly thompson i'm reading it so i i do recommend that and like i said you know it's 4.99 for triple length at first i'm like oh are you serious this is so long because you know how me and trying to read everything but it, it was definitely it, it didn't like drag on or feel like it was too it was it was great so i recommend that then there's Bloodstained Teeth, issue eight. So this is continuing where, you know, we, we had this vampire. He created a bunch of vampires for money. And then the Firstborns, which is like the kind of ruling vampire hierarchy, they're like, the, we don't want this. You know, we want you need to kill all these people that you've created kind of like without permission or <laughs> we're going to kill you type of thing. So there's... um. Definitely some some interesting things in, in this issue. Takes a little bit of turn, but uh, so that that's been a fun um, dark right issue four. So this is a Joshua Williamson, Andrea uh, Bresson, and oh, this is the end of the story. Eric. I guess I could see how it's the end of the story arc, and um, kind of looking at that the main cover now. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. The idea here is there's this there was this dude who was like a writer and he was like struggling and he, he basically makes like a deal with some sort of devilish being or something like that. Years later, he has a theme park, just like horror themed theme park. Uh, his wife is what happened to his wife. <laughs> Read that first issue. And, you know, he has these two kids and you know, he's this recluse and, but he has this popular theme park, which is kind of, you know, maybe, falling a little behind in business or whatever and you know with all costs and all that you know how successful are they is it going to be able to just survive and whatever and uh but there's like some mysterious things happening at this theme park because like in a, the first issue there's this young you know kid he gets this job there and you know he's super excited because you know he he really loves all this stuff and everything like that and then he disappears um and it doesn't seem like in the best way like some questionable means so then his sister decides to come looking you know searching for him so she kind of goes in undercover and everything and then but then there's also stuff with with the the kids with the the, the son and the daughter and they're you know separate empires in the entertainment you know because the son is is kind of like the dad's main um number he's his number one or whatever you know he's deals with a lot of the business stuff even though there's like a i think there's a board or something like that and then his daughter is like kind of doing her own thing i think she has like a music career and everything but then she keeps saying there's they don't necessarily get along and there's these creepy 
uh, costume mascot characters at the park, but it's in the wiredy out at night. Like, so there's just a lot of everything in here. So I don't know how well I described it, but it's, it's worth checking out. Then there's uh, little monsters issue nine. So Jeff, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. So we had these kids who were vampires and they were living alone because they were told that, you know, to wait there in post-apocalyptic stuff or whatever, you know, there's not a lot of people around and then they discover human. And then some of the kids get a taste for blood and there's this other human and, you know, there's this big struggle over, you know, you need to turn her over. And the other kids like, no, cause you know, we don't do that. And so things have just gotten really, really tense, but it was also interesting seeing like some flashbacks with like when some of the characters like first were turned and everything like that. So uh, I just, I this is such a, a, a great series. So highly, highly recommend that nemesis reloaded issue one. So this is interesting. Um, the world's most evil comic book is back. Who is nemesis? And why does this eccentric billionaire who dresses up in a mask and cape want to terrorize people instead of helping them? Isn't that how this is supposed to go? Trigger warning, too violent and too cool for some. So the idea, you know, it's, it's nemesis reloaded and it's kind of like a soft reboot, which is like, wait, why, why is that happening? So there's actually a forward by Mark Miller talking about it. And it, it just makes sense. You know, he, he really likes what he did before. And he's talking about how successful it was like all the time, you know, people come up with the, get it's the issue signed and everything like that. But you know, there's like some things that I guess he kind of wished he would have done a little differently and everything. And this is, there's going to be like this big, like Miller world crossover in, in the summer so it's just a matter of hey let's just start over and everything and it could be the time because you know where's nemesis been all this time if, if all of a sudden he were to come back and so it's just a way to reestablish like the timeline and just the characters and just maybe tweak things here or there and everything so reading this issue and because you know i did enjoy the original you know it, it was mark miller and steve mcnibbon it's like what's not to like and you know there is this idea of this crazy violence and I, f- I forget how they originally described it. Was it like Batman mixed with the Joker? I don't think know if it was Joker, but it's it's basically like he's his hero, but he kind of has his own agenda and everything, and um, he's not necessarily like a good guy, like a pure. You know, he may be trying to do some good things. Some of the stuff he does here is questionable, and um, I I'm really curious to see like where this is gonna go. So I it's it's worth checking out absolutely so if, if, if you read the first one you were going to want to read this if you didn't read the first one i you'll you should check this out as well because it's it's just really good at boom studios there is something's kill, killing the children issue 28 but i'm still trying to catch up so i haven't read that at dc there was lazarus planet alpha issue one and uh, so the interesting thing here is if you read Batman uh, versus Robin, things didn't go too well for Batman. Uh, he's pretty pretty injured, and um, Damien kind of steps up, you know, because there's there's this big oh there's the the world's like kind not necessarily in chaos, but there's a lot of effectors like these uh, like Lazarus storms or what just really messing up with everything. The heroes need to get together and and take on different aspects because there's you know big huge threats coming so uh damien's 
starts like spouting out orders and everything and, and people are because there's no justice league either uh, if you've read uh that whatever the recent crisis final dark i don't even remember what it's called you know everyone's like kind of look at batman he's and he's like listen to my my son so um it, it's it's kind of cool seeing damien you know step up and and just bark the orders and you know not being annoying about it you know because he he, uh, he believes he's better than everyone but he, he's not doing it too too harshly and uh, it's just there's some cool things here so i wasn't sure what to expect but i'm i'm actually looking forward to this wonder woman 795 you know i do enjoy seeing uh yara yara floor uh and uh wonder woman together but i i'm i don't know how i feel about the story arc i'm just kind of waiting for things to to move on um wildcats issue three this is just kind of crazy you know it, it's the wildcats character and I, I believe i mentioned before that you know i haven't read like every single wildcats issue so i'm not like completely familiar with what happened after like the initial you know run at the beginning you know i, I was there from day one and, and you know new to characters and all that but i know a lot of things have, have changed and everything and it's it's interesting seeing this kind of new beginning you know the characters you know the familiar characters but there's definitely some differences and you know as they're more integrated in the dc universe and and just the changes that are clearly happening so i'm i'm really curious to see where, where this is going and how they're using things and, and kind of like certain uh guidelines or, or directions that they're establishing with some of the characters and like kids and, and stuff like that so and I, and I like grifter it's like you know maybe he's a cliche character but he's just he's a lot of fun i think uh, then there's human target issue 10 one of the crazy things in this series is like what happened to guy gardner and you know because uh human target in his quest to find out who basically is murdering him who who poisoned him he cooked up with ice and guy gardner has been crazy about that and he's been really hassling him and stuff like that so something pretty drastic happened and uh we're finding out a little bit more and um it, but for me the main thing is is the art in here greg greg smallwood it's just it's it's amazing then there's i am batman issue 17 so um i don't know how much to spoil here but uh jace found out some some uh i guess big shocking news about his family and and he's not too crazy and you know there's someone who kidnapped someone <laughs> as i tiptoe around to spoilers so and but he's kind of like yeah i don't i don't even care he's like i'm not gonna deal with this but he of course he he is because you know he is a batman uh the only thing i'm not super crazy about is his younger sister you know she decides she wants to jump into the vigilante game as well and i just don't know how how skilled she would be and um so you know we'll see and then the last page was was interesting uh new yeah something else someone else is is jumping into the game as well so it's like everyone's doing this so uh then there's danger street number two i was really confused but intrigued with the first issue so this is another uh tom king story and you know just seeing it it kind of had like this retro feel like a kind of like out of continuity um just feeling to it but Oh, now I don't remember what it was. Something was mentioned in this issue that really kind of 
put it back into current continuity. So I'm like, oh, that, that's interesting here. But some of the characters that are used, and this is like what I think Tom King is really enjoying, is taking obscure or underused characters and just being able to you know, run wild with them because you know there there's it's one thing if you're gonna write batman but you know you have so many limitations of what you can do you take some of these other lesser known characters or you know characters who haven't really been seen in a while and you can really shake things up all you want you can like maim or kill or whatever and you know no one's gonna really say anything because you know if so if you look at like uh adam strange you know you, you, you can how many adam strange fans are there i'm sure there are adam strange fans but you know you could shake things up and it's not like the entire you know fandom of comics is gonna you know smash down the doors of dc so it's, it's just interesting and we have the, the green team here i believe i'm pretty sure it's, it's them it's just I, I don't know where this is going i didn't love this issue as much as the, the first one i enjoyed the first one i don't know if i'd say i loved it but i, I did enjoy the first one this one uh I, I guess part of it is like, okay, where is this going to go? And um, it, it, I don't know. We'll see. Then there was Batman Incorporated issue four. I'm kind of losing interest in this. Uh, kind of losing. It's losing steam for me. You know, I'm. I, I never was completely on board with Ghostmaker. You know, I I'm okay with the character, with the concept, with him. You know, being a part of Bruce Wayne's past and his training and his like his whatever friend and. But then with him taking over Batman Corporate, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And and then, you know, a lot of their mentors being targeted and, and stuff like that. But I think my main problem with him is that he has like such an attitude, you know, because he he's he's like worse than Batman, you know, where he, he feels he knows everything and he's like the best at, at you know, so there's just some things I don't like. And then there's a question of some of the stuff that he may or may not have done in the past that, that came out in the last issue. And um, we'll have to see, you know, where, where that's going to go. Then there is Batman and Joker, the Deadly Duo, number three. So this is just, I, I mean, Mark Silvestri's art is, is just great. It's it's fantastic to see. Um, the, the story, I'm I, not super crazy about the idea, but it, it is interesting and fun to see Batman having to work with the Joker. And, and he is like not super crazy about the idea and you know he's he's not going to be like tiptoeing around joker and you know he's he's a little rough with him and, and stuff but then there's also the fact that like jim gordon has been kidnapped and like where where is he and um then there's like someone manipulating some stuff with like joker dna and just creating other things and so there's a, like the sense of mystery and just plenty of action but just the art it's like oh my goodness it's just so good then we have the Flash 790, and um, uh, I, yeah, I know, I, I think people are like really enjoying this this run. That's great. I haven't been super crazy about it, but um, we'll see. So basically, there's a, it, this is called a one minute war, where like something's headed to Earth, and then something kind of. Uh, a bunch of people just like start freezing or the world starts freezing and like certain speedsters are the only one that are aware so you know something is happening and maybe all of these events are gonna happen within a minute but they're because they are they're speedsters they can move faster than this whatever has slowed down time uh, we'll see and then uh, of course there's a there's a, like a shocking cliffhanger final page where um there may be a casualty and um, 
I'm going to say there better not be. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait a month, I guess, to, to see if they're really going to go there. At, oh man, at Marvel, there was a Amazing Spider-Man issue 17. I just... Should I just sit here and not say anything for like a few minutes and just pretend that I'm saying something? I'm just not not really enjoying this. And so this issue, it's it's mainly you know S- Spider-Man has been sent to limbo, and he's got he's being put through this fake world, you know, demons and you know there's like this fake Daily Planet and everything like that. Peter's supposed to be acting like he's you know part of whatever's going on, and it's just. Uh, I don't know. I'm just like not not super super thrilled with with what what's happening, and uh, you know he has no choice because there's like other innocents there, so he has to kind of play along. And but it's just I just really don't care for the concept of of Ben Riley being evil and blaming Peter for his missing memories, and it's just it's just dumb. <laughs> and in Captain America's symbol of truth, um. I'm not super excited about this series. You know, it's almost like this is, I, I don't know if I would say it's a little more political, but just like some of the stuff happening and I don't know. And then it, it's cool that, that Sam is working with um, Nomad from like Dimension Z from the, the, I think, was that Rick Remender? I think did that, that run. Um, but that being said, I'm not super crazy about this character either. So we'll see where it's going to go and like what's going to happen when S- Steve comes into the picture. And uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, I didn't read Carnage number nine <laughs> or one through eight. But Carnage number nine came. What was Carnage number nine about? I don't even. I don't even care. I'm not going to read it. Daredevil issue seven. So it's more of you know Matt uh, Daredevil and Elektra trying to get their army ready and uh you know their pursuit will be going after the punisher and the, the hand um we're seeing daredevil take some some of the they they've been liberating some people like villains in that and kind of offering them a chance to like redeem themselves and do the right thing and you know just start over and you know we see them he takes a, a few of them out and they 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 do some good stuff there but it's it's almost like that's not the the main goal, the main mission, and um, it, with with that also, it, it kind of feels like I know this is only issue seven of this series, but this started up before. I'm I, while I, you know I'm I'm enjoying it and everything. I'm just wondering like how long is this going to keep going? But um, it, it's good. What what I didn't like, I think it was last issue where the Avengers are like, oh, we're gonna have to do something because of something that happened with Electra, you know, of course the Avengers don't have the full story, but you know, they're, they're, they think they are the police of everything. They have no legal recourse of anything. They're not, you know, government sanctioned. So it's not up to them to go after daredevil or whatever. And let alone the fact that it's like, well, how many like villains are out there running around yet? You're going to go after someone who was always been a hero but you think that they're doing something questionable, so you're going to go after them rather than all these other actual murderers. It's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Dark Web is Marvel, issue two. I started reading it, and I was just like, I, I can't do it. Um, part of it, the, you know, there's there's little things that bother me with the first issue. You know, I love Ms. Marvel. 
I just I don't care for Dark Web, so that just made it hard to read. Uh, I did not read Legion of X and Mary Jane and the Black Cat, number two. So they find themselves in limbo. Yay. And uh, it's more, we, we don't get find more any, I'll, I will say we don't get further answers. We still don't know how did Mary Jane get her superpower. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to, when they're going to explain that. Uh, but there's more of them, of Mary Jane and, and Felicia working together, which I think is great. And um, the someone proposes an idea, a mission for them in exchange to free them and others or whatever. So it's like, will they actually do this? And will there be, can they trust this person? Will there be, you know, bigger consequences if they do or not? So I don't know. Okay, then there is uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number two. Um, this this was an okay issue. I'm still not super crazy, like how Miles got suspended from school. I, I just think that was so stupid, like with that whole thing. But here he ends up uh, kind of, while he's investigating stuff, he comes in across like Misty Knight, and they, they kind of work together. And there's just some other stuff. And it, it was okay, I, I guess. Um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's... I feel like it's better than some of the recent issues. Like I wasn't, I was not happy with that last arc. So it, it is headed in the right direction. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I realized I, I didn't read Monica Rambeau photon number two. So the first issue I thought was, I, it felt kind of weird. It didn't really feel like a first issue. It just felt, it was almost like it's a self-contained story, but I don't know where this one is. So I, I got to check that out. Um, moon girl and devil dinosaur. I did, um, kind of read this issue i i hadn't read the first issue when it first came out the first issue came out december 7th so i kind of skimmed through to both because I, I i like the character you know not necessarily my favorite but I, I think she can be fun um one of the things i'm a little confused with i i still don't understand is her identity secret or not because it felt like before people you know she wasn't really trying to hide the fact that she was super smart the, you know, she's hanging out with this big red tyrannosaurus rex but then um in recent the recent issues it's like her parents were didn't know and i was like i thought that they did know i thought pretty much everyone knew and then here you know she has like her little group of friends and they all know that she's hanging out with a red dinosaur so i i'm not really sure what's going on but with with this um the age what's the age on this uh, it's nine plus, so I kind of feel like it's been um, kind of toned down even further. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it, it, I again. I I think it's great to have stories and comics for younger readers as well. Hopefully, they're they're actually aware of it and reading it. Moon Knight issue nineteen. So we have um, it, there, there's some some follow up with Zodiac, you know, with, with what he's up to, and then you know Moon Knight and uh, the other uh, Fistakanchu are like work, working together, and um, there there are some interesting things about how he came back because you know he was killed and you know what does that mean for the, you know the the, the fists of Kanchu and everything like that and. Where there there's something that they may have to do that I don't know if Moon Knight's going to want to do that and if it's a good idea, 
So we'll see. Um, then there was Star Wars Darth Vader, issue 30. Um, I, I'm really intrigued with the idea of the handmaidens. Because, you know, we had Sabe and we have um, Dorme and uh, I don't remember the other ones. But they are not super crazy with Darth Vader. And, you know, they, they want to take him out. But Sabe seems to have been working with him and it's like is she, has she is she really has she turned is she really doing what he's saying she doesn't really maybe not but you know she's doing some things and the others then they don't they they feel like darth vader is holding her the empire is holding her captive but they're and he's like nope she's doing this on her, her own volition or whatever so there's some, some interesting things there then there was wolverine 29 um uh, I must not have read 28, but this is following up with what's been going on recently with, I, I just think it's nuts that the fact that beast took Wolverine while he was being reborn or whatever, took him, interrupted the, the process. So Wolverine didn't have his whole memory upload or whatever. And he was using Wolverine as a weapon, sending him out and I just feel like Wolverine is going to be so pissed off. It's like, is there any hope for Beast? It's like, is there going to be anything that stops Wolverine? The fact that Beast used him. And uh, so Wolverine, is he's ends up being like in um, the, the, the prison, the Krakoan prison type thing. So he's reliving like nightmares and past stuff so some of that was like okay here we go again we're seeing like these different images and whatever but he's like not fully healed so he's you know trying to recover and get out of there and you know he's like fighting the island or a maybe possible mutated piece of the island because you know why would it be doing this stuff intentionally so uh, i don't know and then x-men issue 18 this is dealing with the fact that on a mission, uh, Darwin, X-23, Laura, Wolverine, and um, Dar oh, did I say Darwin, Sink, they went into the vault, this thing, and they ended up being there for like thousands of years. Um, and then Laura ended up not surviving, so they made a new one. And she had no memories. So, so basically, Laura and Sink, they spent all this time together. They they hooked up. They were together. They had, and it wasn't just like hookup. You know, they had like a legit relationship and everything like that. So he has all these feelings for her. But then this new Laura, because of the backup, there was no backups that were done while they're in there because they, they just couldn't do it. Uh, she has no memory, and he, it's not like he can say anything. And so he's just been kind of dealing with that. But then um, I don't know. If, I think it's a spoiler. But is it a spoiler? <laughs> um, what had happened is possibly Laura didn't die in the vault. So now there may or may not be two Lauras, like an older one. You know, she's she's like a little taller, like older, like some gray maybe, and then the like current regular one. So that'll be um. It, it's crazy. I'm more than one Laura Kinney. I'm okay. Where the heck are they going to go with this? I don't know, but uh, it, it is, it's, it's interesting. 
And the other thing that's interesting is I'm ending comic talk on a on an upbeat, positive note. I'm not like down and bummed, <laughs> but that's going to be comics for the week. All right, and now let's talk about His Dark Material, Season 3, Episode 8, The Botanic Garden. So finally, <laughs> finally made it to the, the final episode. And um, I guess I'll talk about it at the end, like how I feel about it, because I'm... I'm a little on, on the fence, and I'm trying to remember because I, I listened to the audiobooks of these like years ago. I don't quite remember this last book, this you know, for this season quite ending like this. So I'm not sure how much was changed, and and I'm I'm fine if they change things, you know, to adapt it for the show, so it's not just you know verbatim. But it seemed a little weird. Uh, I you totally don't remember like the whole messages this is giving so it starts off in that like garden world lyra wakes up under a tree she's next to will she gets up she looks around she decides to go for a swim and wash off will as like is there any sign of them because talking about their demons and she's like no and then she asks if he's all right and he says he's not sure because you know they, they came through to the land of the dead that that portal after um you know everything they've been through now they're here you know it doesn't seem real then lyra says that in the tower she saw her mother's demon disappear right in front of her she's like i think she's dead and she says that you know she should be relieved you know there's so many things she doesn't understand about her parents like you know why weren't they honest with her why did they do such horrible things you know why wasn't she interested in her for 13 years and suddenly she was and you know why did they abandon her you know, when she thought Azrael was her uncle. She idolized him, and, and then she hated him. And now she can't forgive him, but she doesn't hate him either. Will's like, well, he won the war, and you know we get to be here. So, and she's like, she had a strange, she has the strangest feeling that he's gone, which means she's alone. And he's like, no, you're not. So then they just look at each other, and then he splashes her, and you know, because he's sitting on a rock, and he like jumps in. And, she, and then he's like, you know, I'm glad you wash because you constantly stink. And they both laugh. So Pan and Will's demons are watching from some trees a ways off. Uh, Pan's like, she doesn't look like she misses me. She seems fine. So he's like, um, I thought he was like a mongoose or something, but I, I think he's a, oh, I totally forgot what it was. It, it, it came to me before. Um, Will's is a cat. And the cat says that, you know, she'll be better than fine when she sees Pan. You know, she's like, think how good it'll be to be with them again, to be close. Pan's like, what if it doesn't feel the same? You know, what if, what if it never does? And then the cat's like, Lyra loves you. You know, we're finally in the same world. We're safe here. Then the mechanical beetle flies through a cut like a window and Father Gomez walks through with his rifle. It's like, dude, the war's over. You know, no one told him. So this isn't going to be good, right? Mary looks up you know, through the, the glass thing. She sees the dust is still, I think it's, I don't know if it's going up. It looks like it was going up. Will and Lyra walk and then she checks the lithiometer says that demons are safe but there's someone else they need to meet and she knows pan's nearby it's like when they used to play hide and seek at the college she doesn't know where he is but she can feel him close and you know she doesn't feel torn apart so she knows that he's safe later they hear some like howling like and some distant rumbling so they duck and they see these the like the elephant thing zipping by on on wheels the last one stops um by them and then in mulefa whatever language she says, the girl and the boy. Will's like, uh, hello. And I don't know if this was Atal, the main one, the only one that, that talks. It's like, come see Mary. You know, they can't understand, but they, they follow like to the trees, you know, the big trees. Lyra sees Dr. Malone, you know, Mary. So she runs up to her and they hug. And, she, and Mary's like surprised to see Lyra. 
and you know then she was like told to find her she says hi to will he introduced himself and all that this is where i realized so that that the beetle thing that was actually father gomez's demon um but i thought it was like a mechanical like device thing but i guess it was his demon the whole time i don't know he finds that handkerchief thing that Mary left behind when she was sleeping by the tree when Atal first came to her. So he's on a trail, I guess. Father Gomez looks through the scope at his rifle and he sees like some creatures in the field and his demon says like ungodly beast. And then he pulls a trigger and he kills one. I don't know if it was for food or just because he's a big jerk. At night, Atal says to Mary, like, they have less shraft than you. That's supposed to be dust. Will and Lyra are sitting by a fire she says um atal is so beautiful and you know she's never got she's never seen anything like her and he says that you know a year ago this would have blown his mind but it's no crazier than talking bears and angels mary comes up to him lyra says she, she thinks this is her favorite world mary says that she's learned more here in the last few months than she has in decades and atal has taught her so much like how to trust her instincts and how to treat a tree with respect they talk about stuff like that they're like how do you respect a tree or whatever in the morning, she shows them the dust is rising when you look through the glass. And Lyra asks if that's what she thinks it is. And Mary says that it's the answer to the question she asked in Oxford, whether dust was sin. And she's like, well, your dust, you know, my shadow particles here, they call it sraf. Um, But it's all the same thing. It's the spark that means we're alive. And Lyra's like, so dust isn't sin. It's just as good as or bad as we are. And Will looks at Mary through the glass and she's like totally glowing. Then he looks at Lyra who barely has any like dust particles. And he's like, why do you have more dust around you than Lyra? And Mary says it's, it's says, or Mary says the same with Mulefa. It comes with age and experience. And he asks how she made that glass. And she says the sea pot oil, that, that that's the key. Would they absorb it? And that's how they can see the sraf. So it's they evolved with the trees or something like that so it's not like perfect symbiosis everything was in balance and then something changed so they look at like some dead trees like off so she's like it's heartbreaking isn't it? the trees are dying and lyra's like is it some sort of disease and mary's like no it's the dust it's disappearing it's just you know flooding out of the world you know thought imagination feeling it's all blowing away this beautiful place where you know people are kinder and wiser than us by far it's just dying and will's like what can save it and she's like she says some way of drawing the dust back in maybe in theory dust is drawn by it's drawn to thought to creativity so she's like so if there's like some great discovery atal says i can't think my way out of it but i can't help but try and then there's like an angel flying overhead father gomez continues his hunt mary asks them like what exactly are um are they looking for with their demons and will explains that they look like animals but they change depending on how they're feeling because they're a part of you lyra says will thought he didn't have one because he's from mary's world he does have one so that means mary has one too and mary explains how she's still getting used to everything she put aside everything she thought she knew and lyra's like you believe in a soul right and she's like you were a nun will's like a nun like a nun nun and he's like what made you stop she kind of stammers over, you know, like how she should answer it. She says, you know, just a lot of things all at once, really. And then Atal tells Mary, he's like, tell them the story. So Mary pauses. Then she says that she was at a conference in Lisbon. She was giving a paper on particle physics because her order is really supportive in her academic career, which is pretty cool. It was uh, her first time abroad and went really well. And they were celebrating at that point she didn't feel like her life was lacking in anything. And then she met someone 
and she wasn't like the other academics. So she was, wasn't interested in showing off how much she knew. So she was just really easy to talk to. So suddenly Mary was sharing everything that she never thought she needed to this, this other woman had opened up a whole new world of possibilities. She gave her like this sweet treat. And as soon as she bit into it, these memories flooded back. And she realized that she did have these feelings before years ago when she was at school, like the butterflies in the stomach and all that. And she thinks she was just too afraid to recognize it before. So she didn't want to forget about it this time. So she knew she couldn't go back to the convent after that. And while she's saying all this, Will's like kind of looking side-eyed at Lyra. Cause it, it seems like, you know, we knew that they had this connection, but it's like they're all of a sudden like building up that they really care about each other. So Mary says that, you know, she couldn't live with the feeling of not feeling that alive. And she asked herself, you know, would anyone be better off if she just went back to the hotel, said her prayers and promised never to fall into temptation again? And she's like, no, she's like, no one will. So she realized that there was no one to reward her for being a good girl or to punish her for being wicked. And it was liberating. So she wanted to experience everything that the world had to offer. She wanted to experience love and just everything. Lyra's like, did you? And she's like, yeah. And Will's like, were you scared? And Mary's like, I was terrified. She's like, it was worth it. It's rare when it happens. When you feel that way, you have to grab it. And then at this point, now Lyra's glancing at Will. Dun, dun, dun. Later, Lyra's, she's, you know, lays, lays down to, to go to sleep. She's whispering. She's like, where are you, Pan? She's like, so many things I want to talk to you about. Gomez is standing over Cliff and he says to his demon, Eve was weak in body and mind. She was deceived by the cunning of the serpent's tongue. We will cut that tongue. And he keeps like going, walking through some woods. So it's like, is he going to kill Mary? Mary's gathering some food for them in the morning. And she says she's going to join Atal and some others by the sea pod grove. But um, she, she's like, I can help you look for your demons. And Will's like, uh, she's like, no need. She's like, we'll be fine on her, on her own, right? So it's like, Will, what do you have in mind? They go through some trees. Lyra says it's strange how Pan is closed, but won't show himself. And you know she hopes he's not angry with her. Will's like, I think he'll understand. He's like, you know, my demon too. Then he says that he's he's like, what if she settles on something like a mosquito or a slug or a fish? Then Lyra's like, I heard of a man who had a, a, his demon was a dolphin and he became a sailor, of course. See, he's like, could you imagine me walking around Oxford with a dolphin in my hand? And she looks at him and she like kind of brushes his arm and she's like, we'll figure it out. It's like, whoa, Lyra, like where did that come from? The way she's just like touches it. Turns out, they're being watched. Gomez is using his, his rifle scope to look at the two of them. They go for another swim. They talk about how great Mary is. And he, Will says that he thinks she's right, you know, about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, she gets closer and she's like, yeah, what things? And Lyra's like really being like, not really assertive, but then he's like dust and uh, trees. And then he, she kind of like swims away a little bit and he kind of kicks himself. He's like trees. So Gomez is watching like a creep from high above on a cliff. He's like, Lyra is Eve herself. And he, he actually has the scope on the rifle now. Then he's like, imagine how blessed I shall be when I succeed where others have failed. Praise be to the authority, which there is no authority anymore, dude. Then he, he gets ready to squeeze the trigger. And then Balthamos is like, stop. Gomez like rolls over because he's like laying down. And he gasps because you see Balthamos like shimmering in front of him. Gomez is like, who are you? What are you? And he's like, Baltimore's like an angel. Gomez is like wide-eyed now. He's And he's like, we are on the same side. And Baltimore's like, no, we are not. Come closer. Gomez says that 
He's like, I am your servant. He's like, let me perform this act of devotion and you'll see. He's like, what I'm about to do will rid the world of sin. And Balsam was like, desire is not sin. Love takes a million forms. Each of them is beautiful. Each of them worthy. You who judge, you're just afraid. And a tear goes down like Gomez's face. Balsamos turns his human form. I am Balsamos, and I will not let you take an innocent child's life. He grabs demon uh, Gomez's demon tightly, and then it just like turns to dust, and then Gomez falls over. So this can't be good for Balsamos. He just killed a dude. He killed a human, and he starts dissolving. He's like Baruch, and he's gone. So I guess if an angel kills murders, they forfeit their life. But now he gets to be with Baruch, hopefully. Will and Lyra eating their breakfast on the shore. Lyra keeps like staring at him. Then he looks at her. She reaches for his hand when he goes for like fruit. And she's like, Will? And she moves closer. And then they kiss. And then they kiss some more. And then the dust, there's like dust is glowing. There's more dust. They're making dust, I guess. Serafina and Zafania see green shimmery northern lights. Serafina asks, is, is it Lyra and Will? And Zafani's like, yes, the flow of dust is slowing down. Seraphina's like, then the prophecy has been fulfilled. The love of Eve shall heal the earth and all the world shall feel it. The smooching continues. They're like covered in dust. There's more green light. Seraphina's like, nature will be restored. Hope will spark in darkness as innocent turns experience. All will be in harmony once more. Will and Lyra look at each other. They smile. Atal says to Mary, she's like, look, the young ones. He says like, everyone knows what they're about to do mary looks at them as they're coming up or i guess everyone knows what they did and you know she looks through the glass they walk up they're like loaded with dust and then she's like they did this it's night again lyra says that they can go anywhere will's like they can go to new world if they want and she's like or we could just stay here so they're they're lying like looking at each other then she's like do you think pan knows he's like i think he he guessed he says that they'll, they'll probably have to go back to their worlds for a bit, won't they? Um, so that'll be okay. And Lyra asks, you know, or she says that she wants to show him Jordan, you know, proper Oxford, and they, then they can go to his too. Uh, Kaisa lands by Serafina, so her, her demon. They've found Pan and Will's demon. Pan says her name, and Serafina asks if they've seen how the world is changing. She's like, it's all thanks to you and your humans. The one who has given the world such a gift deserves a name. And she looks at the cat. And she's like, Kiryava, Kir, Kir, Kiryava, I think it was. It's with the J, K-I-R-J-A-V-A, but I think Kirava, Kir, I think the J is kind of like, whatever, Kirava, Kirava. Pan's like, it suits her. And Serafina asks, you know, why aren't they with Will and Lyra? And she's like, are you still punishing them for their betrayal? She's like, but you love them still, don't you? And she's like, and you're not severed? And Pan's like, no, we're still one, but it was so painful. And Serafina's like, they will need you for what is to come. So Lyra is sleeping. Pan like sneaks up um, in like sort of like a weasel form or whatever like that. He sniffs at her and then she wakes up and she's like, Pan? And he's like, you left me. I had to travel so far to find you again. And Lyra's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, I'm grateful. She's like, I didn't want to. She's like, I'm sorry. Will wakes up. And Lyra keeps saying, you know, she's sorry. You know, she missed him. She's like, I love you. And then Pan jumps up in her arms. And he's like, Lyra. And then, so I guess he's settled. Because she's like, I'd hope you'd settle. In he's a, a pine martin, which is kind of like a weasel or something like that. So she's like, I was hoping you'd settle into, yeah, as a pine martin. And he's like, like chittering and like kind of like purring, whatever, as they're like snuggling. Then she says that 
um, she's like, it suits you. And Pan's like, yeah, I, I like it too. Then Will sees the cat and he like slowly gets his feet, you know, while he's crouching. She walks up to him. She's like, I'm Kiriava, Kiriava. <laughs> and she like rubs, you know, her, her head into like his hand and she's like purring. Mary's lying on a tree branch. She hears like wings rustle. There's an angel flying her way. It's Zapania. Her, you hear her voice. She's like, you played the serpent well. <laughs> so it's like, is that, it? that doesn't sound good. Mary rushes down. She's tree sees a uh, Zapania in human form. Zapania introduces herself so that she is grateful to Mary beyond words. Mary apologizes. She's like, do I know you? And Zapania says that they spoke in her laboratory and she's been watching and guiding Mary. She's been so brave to come this far. Thanks to her, the multiverse is healing. And Mary says, she's like, I barely did anything. Safania says that she showed two innocents what it was to dare. And by discovering their love, they have drawn dust back into our world. Mary's like, is that really all it took? <laughs> I guess it just takes a little hunker for hunker. You know, something so small and ordinary. Zafani says, love is never small to those that discover it for the first time. And she's like, your task is now complete. The time has come for you to go home. I'm like, is she going to kill her? Do something like, and then I was like, maybe she can turn her into an angel. Mary's like, I'm not ready. And Zafani's like, for centuries, dust has been flowing out of the universe. What Lyra and Will have done have turned that tide, but their love alone is not enough to sustain it forever. Then Zafania tells Will and Lyra, she's like, every window that exists must be closed. And Will's like, kind of gets offensive. He's like, every window I've opened, I've closed. And then Z Zafani's like, there are countless more windows left open by all the bearers that have ever been. Each time the knife makes a cut, the flow of dust increases. And from the tear in the space between worlds, some darkness is released, bringing destruction across all the worlds. It can take the form of many things, a plague or a specter. Will's like, I've been making specters. Lyra's like, if Will can't use a knife and if we can't leave the windows open, then how will we? And she's like, we have to choose worlds, wills or mine. Will's like, you can't live in someone else's world for, for long. That's what his dad told him in the cave, in the land of the dead. He's like, our demons wouldn't survive. And then they, they both kind of wimp, the demons whimper. He's like, it means we can't stay in the same world together. And Lyra looks at Zafani and she's like, no. She's like, you can't come here and just say that after everything we've been through. It's not fair. And they're like holding hands like real tightly. She's like, it's not fair. They like walk off. Lyra's like, I'll ask the lithiometer. It'll it'll know what to do. And she's like staring at it. And she's like breathing heavily. You know. And she's like, I don't know what's happening. It's not working. Will's like, just don't don't rush. Just you know, just just breathe. You know, because you got to open your mind or anything like that. Then she shuts it, and gets up. She's like, it's broken. And she like leaves. He's like, Lyra. So then Lyra's talking to Serafina, and she's Serafina's like, it's not broken. And she's like, you've changed. You've grown up. And Lyra's like, so that's it. I'll never be able to read it again. Serafina says that the knowledge still exists, but she'll have to learn it like those before her. You know, she read it by grace and she can read it again by work. And Lyra's like, well, what's the point? She's like, you know, why did they get here? Why did they go through everything that they went through just to be forced apart? Will says to Mary, he's like, he didn't know it was possible to feel this bad. And she's like, it won't always feel like this. And he's like, I, I you know, I don't want to not feel like this about Lyra. He's like, I only want her. Lyra says to Serafina, she's like, you're a witch. You must know some spell or, or some way to travel between worlds. And she's like, I'm meant to be with them. This is all wrong. Mary's like, you know all those stories that say the greatest love is the one that you can't live without, the one that you're prepared to die for? She's like, that's not right. That's not what love is. She's like, I know it seems romantic to die for love, but it's much more romantic to live for it. Serafina's like to, to Lyra, 
It's like, you will never lose what you have with Will. You've shaped each other forever. She's like, I know it doesn't seem like it now, but you have a future. And Lyra's like crying. At night, they sit in front of fire looking at each other and their demons are next to each other. Then Zafani is talking some more. You know, they've done a lot, but dust is still flowing out. Time is running out. If humanity learned and embraced compassion, they may create enough dust for a single opening to remain, but you already know where that window must be. And Lyra's like, the land of the dead. Will's like, we can't close that window. It's the most important one. Zafani says that now the rest of the windows must be closed. And Will's like, how? It's just like, there are so many. She says that while the knife exists, only he can close them. So break the knife and then they can help. And he's like, I really have to break it? And she's like, yes. Once you return home, when it's broken, the angels will seal the wounds. The worlds will be whole and unique once more. Lyra's like, is there any way for them to be together just just tell us now as Zafani's like i'm sorry there are fates even the most powerful have to submit to so they sit together in tears he says he's like i love you he's like i'm not going to stop loving you until the day i die she sobs she's like i love you and she says that they will come back here though when they've lived their lives they'll go through to the land of the dead they'll tell gracious wings everything that dave the that's the what should I call it? The harpy. They'll tell Grace Swing everything that they've done. They'll find each other here. She'll be drifting apart until she finds him. He's like, I'll be searching for you every moment. And she says that no one will be able to tear them apart. They'll be joined so tight. Every atom will be each other and blah, 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 all this stuff. They return to Mary, Serafina, and Zafania. Lyra's like, says that they'll go with them. Atal says to Mary, it's like, not to forget them. Keep telling stories. They leave the area. Serafina's like, when all the windows are closed, each of the worlds will be properly aligned. But for now, will um, she's like, Lyra's Oxford should be here. So he cuts. They walk through. You see that right away there's like zeppelins in the sky and everything like that. And Will closes the window behind him. Will and Lyra sit at a bench. Mary's like talking to Serafina. She's like, will you look after Lyra? She's like, she has a lot of courage, but this will be hard for her. And Serafina's like, I will. She's like, she'll be my sister now forever. Mary says that at least Will has Kirhava, and uh, Serafina says, you know, you could see your demon too if you wanted. It's like, when you spoke to the angels in your cave, you held yourself in a special state of mind. It's like, we all see what we expect to see. You only saw dust when you believed you were able to. She's like, try it. So Mary thinks, she exhales, she closes her eyes, just like thinks, and then she opens her eyes, and you hear like, Mary's demon chirping, and she sees like a blackbird in the tree. She puts out her hand and it flies to it. She's like, there you are. Lyra says that they can come back here every year. Him and his world and her and hers. You know, Midsummer's Day, midday. And he's like, I'll be there. He's like, every year, my whole life. And Lyra's like, and if we do meet someone we like, they must be kind to them. He's like, we won't compare them, but we'll come here just for an hour. You know, they can be together. And he's like, every year. He's like, I promise. And they embrace then she hugs Mary. Will opens the window. Mary says that you know she'll never forget her. Lyra goes to Will, and he's like, "I'll break the knife as soon as I go through because I I know I well, I just want to come back to you." She looks at him and says that you know she's just trying to imagine what he'll look like when he's old. And in like a cracky voice, he's like, "I'll be handsome, of course." And they kind of like chuckle. He steps through. They look at each other, and then he like reaches. Then he's he's about to close it, but then he puts his hand down. One more smooch. Dramatic music. It's like escalating all the stuff like that. He's fighting the tears, and then he just closes it like abruptly. And then she like reaches to the area, the emptiness, and then she like doesn't know what to do, and she's like just in tears. 
Will standing in his world, Kirava's like, just think of her. And he thinks like all these flashbacks and stuff like that. He's holding up the knife, it's quivering, and then whoosh, it shatters. So then they show a different place. I think they show like the first world where they went to where there were specters and they show like Jordan College or whatever. The the opening that was like hidden in that like um, greenhouse area or whatever. So they start like closing. Then Lyra returns to the college. You know, she's walking like in the, the, the courtyard square or whatever. Will walks his house, knocks on the door. His mom answers. She hugs him. Lyra standing just, you know, by herself. Um, later we see Lyra walking like in a skirt and a button up shirt. She's carrying books. So she must be taking, attending classes or something like that. She's with Pan. And then it's, it's one year later, Will and Kirhava walking. They, in each of their world, they head to the bench. They sit on, you know, both sides of the bench. And there's, there's kind of like a line, like in the, in this, the screen. And you see like time flashes. We see different years. They get a little bit older or whatever. Then they, they kind of look at each other, even though they're not really next to each other. And Will puts his hand down and she kind of puts her hand down, even though they're not touching. And that's it. Fade to black. Then there's a little bit of text. Will and Lyra continue to return to the bench same time every year. They kept their promise to each other, going to, to, on to live full lives in her own world. Will became a medical student, later a successful surgeon. Lyra went on to be educated at St. Sophia's College in Oxford, where she was taught how to once again read the lithiometer, which would come in useful one day when Lyra and Pan would go on to have a further great adventure. But that's another story. So there is a potential for a spinoff and i i think i i saw something i didn't read the full uh, interview or article or anything like that but i thought they were talking about like wanting to do like a spinoff or continue the story somehow so it seems like lyra's world is more open for like some sort of like yeah, i mean with the giant zeppelin they, and just the how they had the zepp or the demons everywhere they seem like more open that there's more room for adventure will's world is is like ours like a normal world and it's gonna be weird so like he's a surgeon i i guess you know his this cat doesn't have to be by his side the whole time you know they can separate a little bit more but it'll be just interesting that he has to go everywhere with this cat with this demon so it's just it's weird that that's how it ends you know it's just it's like kind of sad it was kind of you know they do everything save the multiverse and they can't even be together but I guess that's how it goes, a sacrifice and blah, 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 all that stuff. But yeah, I totally don't remember the fact that the two kids had to hook up in order to save the multiverse. I do not remember that. And it seems like that these books really sort of have an agenda, you know, going against authorities, like just really knocking organized religion and how hoity-toity and just the whole thing about like heaven and hell and sin and, you know, is that real or not? So it's... um pretty pretty bold so I, I i can imagine like some religious groups wouldn't like the the books or, or the show but it was, it was fine so um and it's just weird i i thought we were going to see uh asriel and and marissa i, I guess you really were, were dead i was like is there any way they could have survived will we get a glimpse at them i thought i saw something where they were like together you know but that must have been like an older scene i don't even know but that's that's it. It's over. No more. So maybe at some point they'll do a sequel. I don't even know how successful the show was. I don't even know if anyone. I don't like really see anyone talking. I I liked it. So that's gonna be it. That's sad. All right, and now Star Wars: The Bad Batch, season two, episode three, the solitary clone. So this was 
uh, this was a weird, it's not really a weird episode, but it was, it was definitely different. And I, I kind of liked it. Um, it was just a change of pace. This, this episode focuses on, on crosshair and we don't see the other, the other clones. So I, I think that's a really interesting choice just to like mix things up a little bit. And, um, at first, I was like, "It's like, wait, we're not going to see you," but it makes sense because even though Crosshair isn't, you know, with the others anymore, you know, he's he's still following the orders and all that. He is one of the original Bad Batch or whatever Clone Force ninety nine. So it's just kind of interesting. It starts off on like some. At first, I was like, "What is this? Like some mining planet?" It was weird because usually I thought they always tell us like where, like they give us a location, but it didn't tell us right away. Then there's, uh, you know these people like in this crate, like carrying some stuff or whatever. Then there's sirens from this big building. The shuttle's approaching with some stern troopers and an Imperial dude. It's actually, his name is governor Groton. So that the people, the, like the workers, whoever they, they kind of scramble. And then, um, the, 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 the governor and some troopers come out or shuttle. They approach the building. Three people come out. A uh, person in the middle is like, uh, with a, like a me- mechanical voice is like, I'm Tawny Ames, governor of Dessex. And then, uh, Groton, he clears his throat. He's like, I am here to relieve you of your title, Mistress Ames. He's like, by order of the Galactic Empire. And she's like, as I told your government, Desic doesn't fall under imperial jurisdiction. So take your forces and leave peacefully. Groton's like, your request has been received, reviewed, and as you can see, rejected. Tawny says, how disappointing. Hits a button on her wrist. A bunch of battle droids pop up on the walls behind him and more come out and like completely surround him. So Tawny's like, she pull out a gun too and says that she has a message for his empire. Then I, I don't know if it's on Coruscant or somewhere crosshair. He, he's either wakes up or is woken up and, you know, he's like in this little room, whatever. And he goes to the mess hall, sits next to a couple other clone troopers. They, they kind of look at him, whatever they get up and leave. And then an intercom voice calls out CT-9904, report to Vice Admiral Rampart's office immediately. So Rampart, he's acting like nothing happened last episode. You know, he's just like back at his, his office and just, you know, business as usual, even though he knows that the clones are alive and out there. So it's like, is he going to try to have something, you know, try to find them, track them down or something like that? Rampart congratulates him. He's been cleared for active duty. He's like, remind me, how long were you left standing or stranded on the Caminoan platform before being recovered. Crosshair is like softly growl, growls 32 rotations. Rampart says that, you know, all that time left to die, and yet he still came back. He's like, why? Crosshair says that he's a soldier of the Empire. And Rampart says, and your loyalty is commendable, which is why I have a mission for you on the planet Dessex. So he says it's a remote separatist world. Normally, he wouldn't pay it any mind, but an issue has arisen. And Crosshair asks, what are his orders? He doesn't care what it is. He just, like, tell me what to do. So uh, Rampart says the newly appointed imperial governor has been taken hostage by insurgents demanding Desix be recognized as an independent planet, but they do not negotiate. So he's going to be sent in under the guise of they're going to be discussing diplomatic resolution. But once he arrives, he's to do whatever is necessary to secure the city and ensure Governor Groton's release. Uh, Crosshair's like, what squad will I be leading? Rampart chuckles. He's like, you're not ready to play commander again. He's like, not yet. He's like, your new commander will brief you in on details. So he's like, meet him at this whatever place. So Crosshair is like waiting for him there. This clone commander says his name and he takes off his hammock. He's like, oh, it's been a while. He's like, good to see you. So he's like, oh, Commander Cody, I didn't recognize you. 
And Cody's like, yeah, a lot has changed. He's like, when he heard that he was cleared for duty, he requested him specifically. So word is that the rest of the Clone Force 99 went rogue after Order 66 came through. And, you know, he says he's not surprised since, you know, they were made different by design. Crosshair is like, he's like, regs have gone AWOL too. And Cody's like, yeah, rumors are more and more clones have been questioning the Order. And then Crosshair's like, then they're traitors like the Jedi. And Cody just like looks at him and he's like, yeah, good soldiers follow orders. So then we see it in a shuttle. They're cleared for approach. Rotten is, is like tied up in the chair. He's like demanding to be released. And Tawny says that he'll get his freedom when they get theirs. Groton's like, the Empire will never agree to your terms. And Tawny's like, precisely why she knows that the diplomatic envoy that they're sending is anything but peaceful. And so Tawny takes off her helmet and says, Dooku was right at the end. He knew the Republic was corrupt, he, that it would collapse and become something worse. He saw it coming, the Galactic Empire. So Tawny's told that shuttles within range, and she's like, well then, let's welcome them. So battle droids and tanks are sent out, fire rockets, the shuttles hit, big tank engine, water t- shoots, takes out a... The, the pilot ship lands with a crash. Tawny says, uh, send scouts out to check for survivors. So it's droids like pry open the shuttle. They look like, ah, oh, they're all, it's, it's the, the battle droids, the Roger Roger droids. They're like, they're, they're all dead. So one reports that there's no survivors. So they're told to return to the city. Roger, Roger. And then pew, 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 pew. Two troopers survived, of course, Crosshair and Cody, but it looks like some other ones survived too. So they, they t- took them out. So they're going to have to take out that big tank over, you know, closer to the building. Cody mentions that there's no cover. Crosshair says that, you know, that all those, the battle tanks, whatever, had the same weakness. He's the droid that's operating them. So he's like, I'll draw their fire and while you sneak up. And Cody's like, so, okay. So Crosshair, he sends a few shots just to the side of the tank. And one of the droids like, where did that come from? They spot him, you know, with the binoculars. They see him like on the side. What they, so they start turning the, the tank's turret towards him and start firing. He like doesn't even worry about it. You know, he just sits there. He takes a couple shots, whatever. But then when the cannon lowers just a little bit at the right angle, he shoots a shot like straight through. And you know he's ignoring these shots that are, that are blasting around him. Blows up the tank or at the top of the tank, whatever. More droids come, and behind the tank, there's you know there's some droids at, at the top of the wall with like kind of like bazookas or whatever. Crosshair takes out a few more. Other clones, you know, start making their way inside. Crosshair catches up with him. Cody compliments him on, you know, shooting, you know, straight down the barrel. He just responds that he's like, they're working in coordinated waves. He's like, there has to be a tactical droid giving them orders. So Cody says that then they should divide their forces. So if they split up, that'll make it harder for them to to coordinate their attacks because they'll have to be, you know, monitoring two different, you know, areas. As they're working their way in, inside this, this building, this tower, there's some droid that goes roll up, so they have to like kind of shoot at them. The tactical droid is is you know trying to look at both fights. Crosshair spots him with the you know with his binoculars, but he can't uh, get a shot at him. Some clones make it uh, to where Groton was, but only his hat's there, so they moved him to secure him or something like that. There's some droids waiting there. More shooting starts. Uh, Crosshair and Cody make their way up to the tower. Cody has to. Um, fight one with like a viral blade or whatever and then you know then he has to throw another one to save crosshair because crosshair's like cody whatever so he's like like choking him he um so he's a little injured he's a little sore or anything like that but he's like i can still make the shot because he's been as they're going up these like stairs at the tower he's been throwing these like reflective like pucks that are sticking to the walls kind of like little mirrors so then he can see them as they're coming down and he's like shooting them so he tells cody to, to throw it and to give him a shot and cody's like how far and Crosshair's just like, as far as you can. 
So Cody gets ready. He just like throws it. It like goes and then Crosshair waits, waits, and then he gets a shot. It like ricochets a few times and it takes out the tactical droid. So Crosshair is like, nice throw. And Cody's like, nice shot. Cody um, then is told that the droids have been defeated. He says, well, scour the city to find the governor. Tawny like, pops out of shadows with Groton. She's like holding a gun to him. And she's like, there's no need. I'm Tawny Ames, the rightful governor. And Cody's like, we have galactic orders. And she says that their independent planet, once they recognize this, Groton and his soldiers will be handed over. She's like, those are my terms. And Cody's like, we're not here to debate politics with you. And she's like, if you did, you might see how unjust your actions are. He says that her droid army attacked two Imperial convoys. And she says that they were just defending themselves from a hostile occupation. Cody's like, we're not the enemy. He's like, the Empire seeks to establish peace and order throughout the galaxy. She says that there was a time that she believed in peace. And she's like, you know, so much so that her colleague, Mina Bonteri, I don't know if that's someone that we're supposed to know. I, I was going to look it up, but I didn't. She's like, so her colleague and her put forth a treaty with the separatists and Republic senators alike to end the war. And she's like, your Supreme Chancellor rejected it. So she realized then that peace was never an option. Cody like motions across her to lower his rifle. He takes off his helmet and he puts on his blaster. He's like, it's an option now. He's like, listen, we both lived through one war. Let's not start another. He's like, too many people have died already. He's like, we can resolve this without more bloodshed. He's like, please do this for your people. So she's like, thinks about it. Then she finally releases Groton. He like runs, you know, he's still like cuffed or whatever. He's like, nicely handled. Now execute her. And Cody's like, sir, I promise a peaceful. And Groton's like, you did. I didn't. Now execute her. Cody like looks at her. She looks back and she's like, so much for peace. Groton screams, I gave you an order. Follow it or face the consequences for disorder. And pew. she drops her gun. Crosshair's rifle. We see it smoking. Groton says, now put her body in the square. Let it be a warning for the rest of them. And then Crosshair just like leaves the room. Cody's left there alone, just like looking at her body. So some people are like rounded up supplies, maybe taken out or no like that. Crosshair gestures to, to Cody and then he just like looks at him. More troopers arrive, you know, to, to, I guess you're gonna start to occupy the place, whatever. Cody puts on his helmet, gets in the shuttle with like Crosshair and some others. So then back on Coruscant, Cody and Crosshair are walking. Cody's like, tell me something, Crosshair. This new empire, are we making the galaxy better? And Crosshair's like, we're soldiers. We do what needs to be done. And Cody's like, you know what makes us different from battle droids? We make our own decisions our own choices. We have to live with them too. Then he continues walking. Crosshair just stands there thinking. Then we see Crosshair lying in his bunk. He wakes up when the alarm goes off or whatever. He looks at his helmet and his rifle, goes to the mess hall. He's paged to Rampart's office again. After your successful mission on Dessex, he's like, I am trusting you on another one. He's like, report to CC1226. And Crosshair's like, why not Commander Cody? And, and Rampart's like, Cody? And he's like, CC2224. Rampart scoffs. He's like, ah, yes, it appears he has gone AWOL. Clone loyalty does not seem to be as advertised anymore. Funny, isn't it? How these clones around you keep disappearing? And Crosshair's just standing there. He's like, problem? And Crosshair's like, no, sir. Then you're dismissed. So Crosshair puts on his helmet. He just like walks out in the hall. And that's it. So, you know, we're, we're seeing... Like, what's up with Crosshair? You know, because he's still so strict to follow the orders. But is there any, any, because we saw there's tiny hints that he could be redeemed, but he, he killed that governor, it's like straight out. You know, he followed orders. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so that was uh, that was something. So it was interesting because, you know, I, 
I can't say the Crosshair's like been like one of my favorite characters, probably because you know he's not supposed to be as likable as the others. But it was interesting to see like could he possibly be questioning this? And it was interesting to see Cody that you know he's still working with the Empire at this point, but then he's like, I, I can't do this anymore, and then he decides I'm I'm done. Good for you know because we we knew it was coming. I think we knew it was coming, right? So it was, it was good to see that that development there. So that that was a I, I, it was a good episode. Okay, then with National Treasure Edge of History, Season 1, Episode 6, Frenemies. <laughs> I, I like this episode. I, I It was, um, I, I think there was, I feel like there was more action and like just moving the story along and everything. And, and you're seeing some stuff like, wait, what's going on? Last episode seemed to be really like pushing it, like with the eye rolling for, for me at least. But I, I think I, I there was an interesting twist here. So I was like, wait, what's going on? And throughout the whole episode, you're like, no, this can't be like what it seems. So it starts off, as you remember, you know, they were at the gala and uh, Liam stole the, the journal from the governor's office and the security was chasing Jess and she runs out in the street and then Billy pulls up and she's like, get in. So this episode starts, Jess is driving off with the Billy and she's just like looking at it and she's like, did you have fun at the gala? And Jess is like, how, why? And she's like, why did I rescue you? Well, I was just arriving and I saw you running out barefoot, looking like a street urchin. And I thought, huh, this is a good opportunity to tell you that we got off on the wrong foot. And Jess is like, yeah, kidnapping someone's friend tends to do that. And Billy admits that that wasn't her finest hour, but she did what she thought she had to do. She's like, just like Raphael and I did when we embarked on this treasure hunt 20 years ago. I, I'm like, yeah, this is BS. And Justice, you know, she's like, wait, you knew my father? And she's like, yes, and your mother, Manuela. She says that if she had known that they were her parents, she would have shown her this. And she holds up a necklace, which it must be a fake or something like that, right? And Justice is like, you're a daughter of the plume serpent? And she's like, yes, we are on the same side. And then she's like, let me buy you dinner. He's like, but you will have to get out of these gowns first, put on some cocktail attire. And Jess is like, you know, they're still in the car and she's like looking at the door handle, you know, like, can she make a run for it? And Billy's, you know, looks at her. She noticed that she, you know, glanced at it. She's like, I know this is a lot. She's like, I can take you home if you'd like, or I can tell you everything I know. Or and Tasha and Ethan are, are driving in a van, you know, after the gala. And Tasha says, she's looking at her phone. She's like, there's a lot of mad chatter of a priceless artifact stolen, but zero arrest so far. And Ethan's looking at his phone. He's like, why isn't she answering her phone? And then all three get the same text I'm from Jess. I'm fine. Long story. See you later. Smiley face emoji. So they're like, oh, I guess that answers that. They've, they think she's totally fine. And now the question is, did she really send that? Or did they hack her phone to send that? Billy and Jess show up at a restaurant. And um, so Billy must have gotten just like just a, a cocktail dress and everything like that the mater d recognized billy and i guess it's the same restaurant that she went to before because and but he's like i have your table waiting for you blah 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 so does she frequent this restaurant in in baton rouge or did she call ahead and her tables were, i wasn't really clear on that but then uh just is like yeah last time i was here they tried to make me leave and bill is like that will never happen again the waiter comes right up with drinks and just is like uh no thank you she's like i don't drink and the, the waiter's like, it's a mojito mocktail, no alcohol. And Billy's like, isn't that your usual? And Jess just like thinks about it. Then she's like, so you know my drink order, my shoe and dress size, my birthstone, because she, she refers to her earring. And Billy's like, well, what can I say? When I dig, I dig deep. Jess asks, she's like, can I see the medallion? 
and she hands it over to her and Billy's like, I know what you're thinking. It's a fake or she bought it on the black market. And Jess is like, well, you are an antiquities dealer. And she hands it back. Billy's like, ah, a fellow deep digger. She's like, you're so much like your father. Then she pulls out a photograph of a couple dudes and just like, that's my dad. And Billy's like, with my brother, Sebastian. So she says that they first met just, she, they first met her father just outside Mexico City. They thought he was a treasure hunter and he thought the same thing. Soon they both realized that they were looking for the treasure to protect it. And Jess like, where's your brother now? And Billy's like, he was murdered. And Billy's like, oh. Billy's like, yes, we both suffered losses. She's like, the same man killed them both, a treasure hunter named Salazar. Jess says, she's like, I found a note warning me about Salazar. And Billy's like, oh, he's still out there looking for the treasure. And she says that the medallion that they both wear, it's a promise, a duty to keep the treasure safe for men like him. She's like, she's like, we can do this together, not to mention validating your mother's life work. And Jess is like, what don't you know? And Billy says that her mother was brilliant and unjustly left out of academia. She's like, this could be Jess's chance to have the last laugh. Otherwise, Jess's father and her brother died for nothing, Billy's brother. And Jess says, that's exactly what she was trying to do. And then Liam double-crossed her and ran off with the journal. Billy calmly says, Liam has been working against you for quite some time. He doesn't care about the treasure. He's only in it for the money. That's why he offered to steal the journal for me. If I hadn't taken him up on the offer, he would have just sold it to someone else. Okay, so it's like, is this true or not? Obviously, it can't be true, right? Or can it? Jess is kind of like surprised. She's like, you have the journal? And she's like, I have it. So wait, how did she get it? Did, so it must be true. So she says, you know, she has it. And she's like, with, with her resources and Jess's skill, they can find a third relic and beat Salazar to the treasure. And Jess thinks, and she's like, okay, so where's the journal? But what was here is like, wait, because Billy mentioned the third relic. Jess didn't know she had the third relic. And, you know, she doesn't, maybe she just didn't catch it. So then they're on, they, they show, I guess they're on Billy's boat, like a ship. I, I thought that they were always hanging out in her plane, but they show like an exterior shot, like the river or something like that, or the ocean. So then um, Casey uh, is at the laptop. She introduces herself. She's like, oh, I'm Casey and everything. And Jess is like, oh, not a real fit. Got it. And she's like, oh, sorry about that. She's like, we we're just trying to scare you, you guys. You know, I'm glad we're on the same team now. And Jess is like, I am too. Then Billy introduces her to Dario, and she's like, any hidden messages yet? He's like, so far, no, just a bunch of drawings and a, a lot of tedious descriptions of, a, of how Lewis's dog liked to chase squirrels. Billy hands just some rubber gloves, asks if she'd like to take a crack at it. So at this point, I'm thinking, is this a real journal? Or does she, somehow she get another fake? But it, it is, it's actually the real journal. So Casey says that Lewis liked to draw a lot of pictures of his dog. And Jess is like, they're not all his. He didn't make all the entries, even though it was his journal. She's like, about halfway through his ex expedition, he got shot in the butt and he couldn't sit and write anymore. And he handed off to Clark, but he hated journaling, which is why he passed it off. He passed the ball to other members like Sacagawea and York. So she noted there's only one entry written in French. Sacagawea spoke French and maybe she taught herself how to write. So... Uh, she recites the one fair weather bend line, whatever that they, they keep saying over and over again. She, and she's like, maybe it's it's not a river. And she looks at the, like the, the binding thing that keeps the, you wrap the journal to keep it closed. She's like, maybe it's, uh, and then she and Billy both say, abandon the strap. And Billy says it like as if she would have figured that out. So it's just like, whatever. Jess says that 
it's a broken word puzzle and just mentions that you know like look at the colored string on on the strap there's blue green and white which is commonly used by Sacagawea's tribe then she starts feeding the, the strap through the like the pages like by the binding there's like a little like opening she's like if we line up the colors of the string to the letters we spell out a l a m o w e l l she's like that's where the third box is hidden and Dario says that there was there is a well at the Alamo. And Casey says that the Alamo was built by the Spanish, which are the very people that the daughters of the plume serpent were trying to hide the treasure from. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. And Billy says that it makes perfect sense because, you know, she's the, the main smarty pants. So she has to, like, you know, know everything about everything. She's like, the indigenous people helped build the Alamo, right? And just as it was eventually became one of the most heavily guarded forts in the territory. So it would be the last place the enemy knew to look for the box so it'd be right under your own noses billy's like i love it the spanish unknowingly protecting the box for the daughters casey mentions that the place is a tourist trap now and they can't just go spelunking you know in their well billy motions to this dude to come forward he's carrying like a case and billy says that they're going to get um, them with the two relics and just sees the jade box for the first time she's like you have it and she's like yes i do Liam sold it to me and Jess reacts to that because Billy's like she's like what Jess says that he, he told her it disappeared when his dad died and then she's like oh I'm sorry so she says that they have the Aztec and the Mayan pieces of the map they're going to lead them to the Incan map because if she turns you know she, she turns the boxes that face each other and then they come together. She, she's like magnetized lodestones. So when they take these to the Alamo, that they're going to be magnetically drawn to where the third box is hidden. So all they have to do now is find their way into that well. And Casey's like, okay, I'll scout it out tomorrow. Tasha sends out a message or she's like live streaming on her laptop, which I thought she used like a different camera not just because laptop cameras aren't that great unless she's got a, a fancy one and she's thanking her viewers for all their vibes it's like your feedback on my gala protest has reminded me exactly why i do this i represent you the people and we're here to make change if you see something say something that's what i live by and just like walks in and she's like okay i gotta go so she's like where have you been and jess is like sorry my phone died so she used that excuse again that's what she said with liam and she's like, I can't believe Liam stole that journal. She's like, I, I should have listened to you, you the first time. And Tasha's like, oh, forget him. She's like, we don't need him or his clue room or the journal. So they should plot their next move because they cannot let him beat them to the treasure. Just thinks back to Billy's words about Salazar killing her father. Then she's like, I think from now on, I need to do this on my own. And Natasha's like, excuse me? It's like, you would have been worse than arrested if it weren't for me. And it's like, Why? Uh, so the thing is, Jess didn't have the journal. They could have stopped her. They could have searched her. She had nothing on her. So there is no way to track her to Liam stealing the journal. So it's so, so stupid. But Jess is like, I know, but I thought that you were going to get arrested because of me. And she's like, you took it too far. And Tasha's like, you asked for diversion. Now you're criticizing me for it. So Tasha's like being way too sensitive. You know, she's making this all about her. And Jess is like, I asked you to make a scene, not cause a revolution. It's like, you could have just knocked over a tray of food, but you made it about your own agenda. And Tasha's like, are you being serious now? And Jess is like, this is exactly why I didn't want you going to the ball in the first place. So it like really, I, I'm obviously Jess doesn't mean this. 
But it does not take Tasha very long to just bail on, on Jess and not realize that she's obviously doing this on purpose. So Tasha, she's like, I'm so done bailing you out, Jess. She's like, from now on, you're on your own. And she heads for the door and, and Jess is like, Tasha. And she's like, no. And she just like walks out. So later she goes over to Oren's. She like knocks on the door and he's like, oh, good timing. He's like, I was stalking social media for signs of Jess. And she's like, oh, Jess is at home. She's fine. And he's like, oh. Then he asks about Liam and Tasha says that she's not here for treasure gossip. She's just here to spend quality time with, I, th I think it was Buffy, is there the, the bearded dragon. And Oren, he's like, wait, you're in a fight with someone. Who is it me? So he, he realizes that she's in a fight with Jess and didn't come here at midnight to be with Buffy. He came to, or she came to talk to him. So he like dashes out of room. He comes back with peanut butter and dark chocolate. She's like, you, you hate, you know, peanut butter and dark chocolate. He's like, yeah, but you love them. So I keep them here in case you come over, which is nice of him. Jess is looking at some stuff. She has like a box or whatever, like, you know, or maybe I, at first I thought she was like packing a suitcase, but there's like birthday cards. There's pictures of her and her friends, pictures of her mom. You know, she thinks of her parents. She thinks, of, you know, the, the beware, the Salazar, that note. Then, you know, right above it, 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 right above the note, it even says, don't confide in anyone else. So it's like, is she really going to trust Billy? Is she, you know, she's supposed to be smart in that, but she's totally working with Billy. So then uh, we see, at first I was like, wait, did I click something wrong? Because you see a, a scene from Winter Soldier, like Steve saying that, that he's not going to fight Bucky. And then Orin, Orin and Tasha are watching it. So he's like, that's you and, and Jess. Tasha says that, she's like, I'm kind of afraid. Am I Cap or Bucky? And Orin's like, it doesn't matter. And she's like, uh, it kind of does. And he's like, Steve and Bucky were BFFs. It's like Bucky dies and comes back as a brainwashed murder machine. But Steve always has Bucky's back. And she's like, till the end of the line. And he's like, best friends don't give up on each other. He's like, you're going to get through this. And she just like looks at him, kisses him on the cheek. In the morning, Orn is dancing in the kitchen to come on, baby, do the conga, the Gloria Stefan song. He's like making pancakes and putting whipped cream under and stuff like that. So uh, I guess he must have had a good time last night. The music suddenly stops. Ethan is there with the remote. What's the rule? Only the shins before 11. It's like, you're such a like wet blanket turd. And he, he just like chuckles, whatever. Then Tasha comes out in just a t-shirt and Ethan's like confused he, because he's obviously such a doofus. And he's like, are you guys? And Orin's like, yes. And she's like, no, they you know, answer at the same time. And then uh, she grabs her plate, goes back to the room. And Orin says that she and Jess got into it last night. And he's like, wait, what? Because of course he's got to know everything about Jess. Jess is walking around her apartment. She stops to look at a, <laughs> a photo of all four of them holding bowling balls. So, okay, you got to commemorate them going bowling, I guess. Then Ethan knocks on the door with two coffees. It's like, oh my gosh, He's, are you just like swooping in? Is this like, you're just, and she's like, oh, I was just about to text you to ask if you wanted coffee. He's like, oh, great minds think alike. So they, they talk about the events since the gala or whatever. And this is the part that drives me nuts. I've talked about this before. The fake coffee drinking. He he takes a couple drinks. He sets his cup down on a, on a counter, and you can hear it is an empty cup. The the hollow sound of the cup hitting the table. It's just like put some liquid in there, do something. So, anyways, Jess asks how are things with Mina, and he's like, "Oh, complicated." And Jess is like, "You know, we never should have danced." He's like, "You know, we were there for the journal, and I got distracted. You know, Tasha and Oren could have gotten arrested. I almost got arrested." And she says she got caught up in a Cinderella fairy tale, and it turned out to be a nightmare. She's like, I'm such an idiot. And Ethan's like, no, you're not. It's like, you wanted to believe 
him, Liam. She's like, we all did. And then he's like, have you talked to him yet? And she's like, no, I've called and I've text. But I'm, at this point, I'm like, he's probably locked up on Billy's boat. It's like, did they grab him, kidnap him, take the journal? Or did they really pay him off? So she's like, he, he's just not responding. Then Ethan says, you know, the Jess I know wouldn't just take that. So Jess goes to Liam's. She walks in again. It's like the door to the place is never locked. She's like calling out to him. And she sees like a bunch of stuff knocked over in the study. Like the papers are all gone off the wall. And she's like, who would do this? Then that big gray haired dude grabs her from behind and she screams. And he's like, I won't let you find a treasure. Then Casey yells, let her go. And he like shoves Jess at Casey. And he actually like jumps out through the window. And Jess is like, was that Salazar? And Casey's like, no, but he works for him. Then Jess gets suspicious. She's like, wait, why are you here? And she's like, Billy was worried about you and wanted me to watch your back. And so she says that, you know, she gets that Jess has doubts about Billy. She's like, but she's not the bad guy. It's like, she never was. You know, she's just very hard to get to know. She's like, she's had a very hard life. Like her and her brother were orphaned when they were kids. Their parents were killed by a car bomb. After that, her brother was murdered. She lost everyone that she loved. Now the only family she has are are her her employees. Casey says that, you know, she was on the street stealing purses and Billy took her in. She paid for her education, gave her a job. She's like, she saved my life. And Jess is like, and you just saved mine. She's like, thank you. So it's like, is she still skeptical and faking it? Or is she really buying all this? Back on a boat, Casey fills Billy in about the dude or whatever it's, they do. She's, he, Casey's like, he grew a beard, but it was definitely Maddox. And Billy's like, if it was him, then Salazar's not far behind. She's like, we have to move fast. So then it cuts to the FBI office. Uh, Agent Ross is talking to Dr. Zeke, the, the medical examiner dude. And she's, she's they're in her office, I guess, or something like that, because she's going over all the facts. It's like, should you be telling him all this? She says that you know, she thinks Sadusky was murdered over a clue for a treasure. And, you know, she has some pictures up. There's screenshots from, like, the security footage from the USS kid. And she says that she thinks Jess Valenzuela was telling the truth. She says that, you know, she talked to a woman named Billy, and she's having the footage enhanced to try to get a clear shot of her. So I guess they can't enhance by just a click of a button like Dario can (laughs) when he was watching Oren's shoe unboxing YouTube video. So she says that they got to figure out who this Billy person is. And he's like, well, what about Elvis? Because there's a picture of him. And Ross said that there was a break in at Graceland. And the perp sounded a lot like Valenzuela and her friends. Also, Sadusky and Elvis were both Masons. He's like, is this some sort of weird first coffee date test thing? And she's kind of like speechless. And she's just like, no. And he's like, oh, good. Because you're not going to chase me off some crazy Elvis story. Because I love the king. She smiles and she's like asked about the orange dye in Sadusky's hands. And he's like, you know, nothing in Sadusky's medicine cabinets matched. He called the FDA about all the foods and drugs that have orange dye in number 47. He's like, it would probably go a lot quicker if some of you, you know, your, if you called some of your old DC contacts without looking at him, she's like, yeah, that's not really an option. And he's like, I know it went down. You know, you made a bad arrest, but it happens, right? You know, what matters is they eventually caught the right guy. Ross is like, but not before he killed again. And he's like, sorry. He's like, I, I didn't know about that. And Ross is like, yeah, they left that part out of the official report. He's like, well, since we're opening up on this coffee date, he's like, there's a reason that I'm a coroner and not a surgeon. Okay, and then it cuts to Billy, Jess, and Casey. They arrive at the Alamo. There's lots of rangers and they have guns. Casey says that there's a lot of tourists with uh, phones too. 
the well has this iron gate across it. So they're like, well, you know, rope and pulley should work. Casey says that they're going to do this after hours. So, you know, they're still going to have to deal with the Rangers. And Jess is like, oh, don't worry. Davy Crockett will get us in. There's this like dude dressed up or whatever. Billy chuckles and Casey's like, uh, I'm not following. And just like they do reenactments at the Battle of the Alamo every Tuesday and Friday. So there's this big sign that says reenactments Tuesdays and Fridays. She's like, if my history is correct, the battle starts. She knows all about everything. She's like, the battle starts outside the courtyard, uh, or, or, or the battle starts outside the gate, so the courtyard will be empty. And Casey's like, okay, let me check. And then she puts her hands to her head, and she like disappears or teleports out of her. I'm like, what? Then Billy and Jess, they do the same thing, and they're gone. So they were using VR, like virtual reality. They weren't really at the Alamo. They were just checking out. It was like super-duper high-tech VR. Casey's like, you were right. And Billy's like, so that would give us 10 minutes. Um, should be plenty of time. Jess looks down at the journal, says that, and she's like, well, we won't be needing that anymore. And Billy's like, you're right. Then to Casey, she's like, we should make sure that makes it back safely to the governor's mansion. It's like, uh-huh, like you really care about that? I, I, I call BS on that, that she's just saying that to, so Jess thinks that you know she really does care. Jess goes to the apartment, she calls out to Tasha, and then she goes to text her, but then she decides to write a note instead. In the morning, Tasha comes in and sees the note. She reads it and opens up her laptop right away. Ethan brings coffee to Mina. I think I don't know if she's a doctor or something like that. She works at a hospital. So I guess bringing coffee, that's his answer to everything. So they, they talk about a bunch of stuff, and he says that he's truly sorry you hurt her. And she's like, what really hurt was thinking that you actually like golf. And she says that she wants someone who plays golf with her and loves it, or at, le- at the very least tells her that he hates it. He swallows and he's like, I hate golf. He's like, actually, golf hates me. And she's like, oh, good. She's like, tell that to the next girl. And she's like, we're not. Um, and she's like, Jess already knows. He says that he swears he wasn't lying to her. He, he was lying to himself. And she says that she's glad that she found out now and not on her Hawaiian honeymoon. Then he's like, I hate the beach. He's like, too much sand. And she's like, oh, this, this honesty is good progress. But hating on the beach, that's a total deal breaker. Then we see Ethan walks out of the hospital, like in like the hallway from where, where they're at. He sees some dude wheeling like this uh, basket with like bloody clothes or whatever. I, I'm assuming it's going to be incinerator or something like that. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, where's a patient who was wearing this? So it was Liam's tux with like the fake bow tie in or anything like that. So it's like, you're really going to incinerate it? <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? So, and then Ethan walks into a room where Liam's lying on a bed. His head, you can see that he's like beat up or whatever like that. And then he has a, like an IV drip and he's unconscious. So is he in intensive care? He just like walks in. But it's like, wait, why would they just destroy his clothes? I mean, maybe they had to cut it, cut it off him. I don't know. Then on, on Billy's plane, Jess is looking out the window. Billy annoyingly asks, is this your first time flying private? And Jess is like, it's my first time flying. So Billy's leaning on this case with a conquistador sword that she got at that place that she acquired in Spain or whatever. And just like, that looks like it should be in a museum. And Billy's like, me or the sword? And she's like, no, it's a replica. And she, she's like, of the sword of Hernan Cortez. Just is like, that's like having Darth Vader's lightsaber. <laughs> All these like Disney references, right? We got Winter Soldier, we got Darth Vader. Billy says, oh, we had Cinderella also. Billy says it's just a reminder of all atrocities that he and his conquistadors made against the daughters of the bloom serpents. Just chuckles and says that she's like, I wish my mom was here to see all this. And Billy's like, me too. We were good friends. She was so smart. 
she was just kind and just as like yeah unless you rooted against a national mexican soccer team whatever so they they talk about all the stuff and she's like i know oh my goodness and what i was like whatever casey goes over to plan but remember the soccer part she so she says she's watched a bunch of like a dozen reenactments they and she they have like costumes for them to wear and stuff like that so to get to the alamo and billy they get out of his suv billy's like game on <laughs> it's just like whatever they head to like the courtyard place this ranger's like oh sorry he's like this the reenactment starts outside casey just walks up to him and kind of like zaps him like in the neck with something and he's out and billy's like oh don't worry it's just a trank gun he'll only have bad dreams and they just leave him lying right there on the path, like in plain sight. <laughs> they go over to the well. They start getting like the ropes and pulleys ready. At the hospital, Liam stirs a little bit, opens his eyes, blurries vision. He sees Ethan sitting there. He tries moving. Ethan's like, oh, take it easy. He's like, you have some bruised ribs and, a, and signs of a concussion. So he's like, I, I need to call Jess. He's like, where's my phone? Ethan's like, I, I don't know. He's like, you're probably not going to get through. He's like, I've been calling her all morning and it just goes straight to voicemail. So her, her battery's probably dead. So Jess, either her battery really dies a lot or she just uses it as an excuse a lot. Liam's like, her battery's not dead. It's Billy. And Ethan's like, what? Billy came to the ball. He's like, I saw her arriving and had no choice. He's like, you were, were dancing and I had to get that journal out of her so Billy couldn't see it. So I took it. When I got outside... He gets, you know, we, we see like a flashback. He gets like clotheslined by someone. He's like, he, and then he's like, she kicked my ass. So it's Casey like just pounding on him. And he's like, she dumped me in a river. Last thing I remember is sinking to the bottom. He's like, I should be dead. Ethan's just like, we need to find Jess. It's not like, sorry, dude, how you feeling? Jess climbs out of the well and she's like, it's not there. And Billy's like, what do you mean? She's like, I checked every square inch and the boxes didn't point to anything. And then she's, you know, sort of, she's like, the battle's gonna be coming in here soon. She's like, we need to get out. And Billy's like, no, no, no. She's like, it has to be there. Somehow, Tasha and Oren are there in a the van. They're like outside, you know, looking at all the, the people dressed up. Oren's like, this is like Comic Con for history nerds. I looked it up. It's, it's like a, a seven hour drive from Baton Rouge to Alamo, it's 463 miles. And it's like, isn't this just like the next day? It's like, how much time is. I guess, you know, you only need a day to drove overnight. I don't know. Tasha's like, they all look the same. She's like, I can't find Jess. Then Jess is like, someone must have beaten us to it. Billy says, like, give me the satchel. And Jess is like, we don't have time. She's like, give me the satchel. She's like, I want to see for myself. And Jess is like, it's not there. I need to see for myself. But then it's, it's like, Jess actually has two satchels. It's like, why would she need two? Maybe I guess one's for the, 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 the relics. The other's for the ropes and, and that. And men start like running towards the courtyard. Jess unhooks the pulley and the gate crashes down on the well. Billy kind of gets startled. She's like, Jess. And then she looks in the satchel. It's just like ropes and pipes and whatever, like equipment. So Jess makes her way out. She's going against like the swarm of men or whatever. Billy calls Casey on her phone. She's like, she's got the boxes. And Casey's just like on it. Then, of course, she happens to turn around at the perfect moment and sees Jess. You know, Jess sees her and starts running. Casey calls this other dude on a comm. He's, like, dressed as a soldier. And she's like, rabbit on the run. And there's actually like at least three dudes that are, like, dressed up as, you know, reenactant dudes. So this must be Billy's backup plan because she mentioned that she always has one. So the dude starts grabbing at Jess. And Tasha sees her. And she gets out of the van. Orange's like, you, you can't beat up those three men. Jess 
grabs one of the guy's prop guns and she yells, Viva Mexico! And she shoots it. And then some other people like nearby, they're like, Viva Mexico! They start shooting. They start fighting or anything like that. One person like knocks Casey down. Several people start like swarming around him. Just starts moving. And if someone grabs her arm, it's Tasha. And she's like, just this way. They jump into the van. Orrin, he's like, I can't can't go because there's, there's like a horse in front of him. Casey reaches the van. She starts like grabbing at Jess. And then Tasha gets out her mace, sprays her like a, a bunch of it in her face. And Casey's, you know, she can't see, but she's still grabbing. Jess just like kicks her in the chest. She goes flying. They drive off. Orrin's like, I, for one, will never forget the Alamo. Someone had to say it right. Tasha's, she's like, okay, give me your phones. And she put them in this bag. She's like, it's a Faraday bag. It blocks cell phone signals so Billy can't track us. And, but it's like, she just happened to have one of these, right? And hopefully there's like no tracking devices in Jess's costume. Because, you know, she's always got a backup plan. And, but then Jess is like, how did you track me? And Tasha's like, I got your letter. And Jess is like, the one that said not to follow me. Tasha's like, you should have cleared your browser history. And she's like, what were you thinking doing this without me? And Jess is like, I don't want to keep dragging you down with me. And she's like, so that's why you started the argument. It was on purpose. Duh. And Jess is like, I didn't mean a word that I said. And she's like, then uh, Tasha's like, so what's in the bag? They go to this coffee shop. The relics are just sitting on, on a table. Orange's like, let me get this straight. You got to fly in Billy's private jet? It's like, she's living my dream life. Tasha says, you know, Billy pulling out the, the family picture was low. And Jess is like, actually, that's how I knew she was lying. <laughs> She's like, the button on my dad's shirt was on the wrong side. I noticed that they were flipped, so the image was Photoshopped. Men's shirt all have buttons on the right, and women's are on the left. And Tasha's like, what? Why? It's like, how, how do you not notice? Doesn't everyone know this? Orrin's like, uh, because um, fashion? And Jess is like, actually, it's because most people are right-handed. Tasha says, so getting dressed is even easier for men. Orrin asks about Billy's secret society necklace that matched hers. Just, just is like, I don't know. It's like, it could have been a fake. It's like, you know, that's why I had to test a theory. So Orrin's like, oh, science. Just mentions that on the plane, she brought up how much her mom loves soccer. And Tasha's like, your mom hated soccer. And just is like, Billy didn't know that. Orrin's like, so while Billy was trying to catfish you, you were catfishing her. And he's like, we, we just poked the bear. He's like, we really have to watch our backs. Billy will show no mercy. And Jess is like, I know. That's why I didn't want you two to get involved. Tasha's like, hey, we're in. Tasha's like, so the third box isn't at the Alamo. Where is it? And Jess is like, oh, it's at the Alamo, Alamo, Mexico. There's this Mexican town called Viesca that used to be called Alamo. There must also have been a well. Tasha takes out her laptop. She's like, oh, let's find out if it's still there. So I guess she's not worried about her laptop getting tracked or anything. I mean, maybe whatever. It's different. We see Billy getting taken away in cuffs. And then she sees a ranger, like, all groggy with the officer. She's like, that guy? He's clearly drunk. So you'll take his word over mine? I can't believe this. She's about to be put in a squad car. And she sees Casey, like, wearing an Alamo souvenir T-shirt, like, hat and, like, sunglasses. They both, like, nod to each other. And then Casey calls some guy and asks if he's got the package. And he's just holding up a USB stick. And he's like, yeah, it's ready. Casey's like, then it's time to deliver it. Will do. Then we see the guy glaring. He looks like a dork. I didn't realize that at first. It was the nurse dude. Because Ross is talking at the phone to someone like the FBI office. He's about some woman surveillance footage, blonde, about 5'8". Just talking about this like out in the open. The dorky, the nurse dude, he, he calls up to Ross. Uh, he sees her and he comes up. 
And at this point, I was like, oh, he's the nurse dude. But he walks up to her and she's like, oh, yeah, I remember we met at Sandusky's awake. Uh, and then he's like, Mr. Sandusky's grandson is paying me to clean out the study. And, well, I found this. And he holds up the thumb drive. And she's like, what is it? He says, it's a recording. Mr. Sandusky was a paranoid man and he recorded everything. I think Jess Valenzuela murdered him. Ross just stares at the thumb drive and she finally takes it. It's like, come on, really? We'll have to see. I mean, I guess they, if they're recording, if their conversations recorded, maybe they manipulated it or whatever. Who knows? Tasha says that there's good news and terrible news. The good news is that Vieska does check out. Um, there's a, even a well there or anything like that. Terrible news is in the 1920s, the area was developed and a bank was built over the land. Orn's like, so we'll need to rob a bank to get to the well? Tasha adds that 20 years later, or 20 years ago, someone broke into the bank vault. They blew a hole in the floor, which revealed the well. But the other good news, or bad, good news, bad news, whatever, they caught the guy and he's still in prison. And his name is Diego Salazar. Dun, dun, dun. Just as like, I have to go talk to him. Tasha's like, uh, maybe you missed a part where he's in jail in Mexico. Just like, he's the only one who knows where the box is. Tasha's like, you don't know that. And why would you risk going back to Mexico? Just says that like, Salazar killed my dad. And Tasha's like, why is this the first time hearing this? And Jess says, she's like, I found out from Billy. And she's like, Billy, catfish queen, and you believed her? She's like, yeah, no, I don't know. It makes sense. You know, why else would my mom have that note? You know, she doesn't know what to believe, you know, but she thinks Salazar must be the key. And Orrin says that, but he's in Mexico. He's like, if you go there, you can never come back. And she's like, my bag's already packed. And that's where it ends. Because, you know, she's not a citizen. So I guess she goes back. You know, she's, is she going to try to sneak in? Is this going to be like the next mission? We'll have to see. So, like I said, uh, I I enjoyed this episode. You know, it was kind of crazy. Because I was like, Jess can't be buying all this. But it just goes to show that Jess is smart. She's smarter than maybe I was giving her credit for. And she was on to Billy, like, from the beginning. Because she noticed a button on her dad's shirt. We'll have to see what happens next. Okay, so uh, like I mentioned, Doom Patrol wasn't on this week, so I, it's probably like mid-season break. I, I, don't, I don't even know if they told us when it's coming back. I have no idea. But Velma started. I debated about this. I love Scooby-Doo. I love, love Scooby-Doo. And Mystery Incorporated, oh my gosh, such a great series. I'm sure I've mentioned it before. But part of like the Scooby-Doo thing is, you know, just growing up as a kid, I watched it, you know, like the, the old ones from the 60s, they were like, you know, syndicated. And and then, you know, my, my daughter, my daughter really loved those Scooby-Doo's as well. And then when Mystery Incorporated started out, we watched those. So I just have this like, just, just um, like emotional connection to Scooby-Doo. I just really love it. Most of them, not all of them, some of them, eh. So when I heard, you know, about Velma, there, you know, there's a whole race thing changing velma's race i'm not that that bothered by it i don't really see the, the need for it i even as a latin x person i guess you would say it doesn't bother me that the whole scooby gang is white you know i'm never like where's a latin where's a hispanic member of the scooby gang or you know, anything like that but for some people i get that that is important you know some people want to be able to identify or whatever i get it that's fine and so Mindy Kaling, I, I think she's great. Uh, I have you know a lot of respect for her. I think she's a you know brilliant writer and she's a great uh, actress. So 
whatever. It's a different take on Scooby-Doo. Just like I said, there's been some Scooby-Doo's that have been better than others. So, you know, And it's good to mix things up rather than just have the same Scooby-Doo over and over again. That's why I love Mr. Incorporated so much because it was different. You know, It really, I felt it really like got to the heart of the characters, but it did take it to a different level. So with uh, the first episode, I think it's just called Velma. And again, two episodes dropped this first week. So Velma's narrating. She's saying how this is her origin story, and she's going to share the events that drove her to assemble the greatest team of spooky mystery solvers ever. She's like, yes, it was me, not Fred and his weird sex fan. But we see her notebook. She's written Velma Dinkley Jones, and she also wrote, I hate Daphne, like exclamation points. So she's like, this is my story told my way, and it starts with a murder, bitch. So Crystal Cove High. The girls' locker room, the, you know, the girls are, are going to have their team shower discussion topic of the day, the, and and they're kind of like sudsy, whatever. You don't really see, you don't see any specific parts, but the topic is: Have you ever noticed how pilot episodes of TV shows always have more gratuitous sex and nudity than the rest of the series? So then this one girl gets in a, in a fight with this other girl, and because she says that she likes it, whatever, and and because you know, she said something like on Riverdale when Betty and, and Veronica kissed or something like that, and so they start getting in a fight, because uh, one girl's like, you know, oh no, it's, it just means that we're all secretly perverts and we enjoy it, and the, the one girl she's like never, and um, then this bundled up dude maybe comes in, whacks her with like a cane or lacrosse stick or something like that. She goes flying out of the shower, like slams into the locker. And she's like, it has like a robotic voice. And how do you feel about race blind casting Daphne? So I didn't realize it was Daphne at first because she had a shower cap on. So we couldn't see her hair. And Daphne's like, well, as an Asian woman, I, it's like, I don't understand what she meant by that. She's like, I um, think it's cool. I mean, not to oversimplify a thorny issue, but everyone loves it when white people play Jesus or professional boxer. Why can't it ever go the other way, right? And then the dude who appears to be wearing Velma's skirt and socks says, uh, yes, I wasn't expecting such an enlightened answer. And then you hear from such a bitch, the hood is like pulled back and you see Velma's like turtleneck, like over face and her glasses. And Daphne's like, Velma, she's like, what the hell? You almost kill me. And Velma's like, guess I didn't try hard enough. So then they're like in each other's faces, like nose to nose, like glaring at each other. The other girl in the shower, she's like, see, if this was a show, it'd be super hot if you two kissed. And Velma's like, Krista, if this was a show, you'd be killed off for being horny. And then uh, Velma goes to her locker, and then Brenda's in there. She's like, oh, is this another ploy that you're so skinny you can fit in my locker and I can't? But then this Brenda person falls out, and Velma's like, she has no brain. And she's like, I'm not dissing her. She has no brain. Because the top of her head is like sliced, and you can see that her brain is missing. And the girls in the shower all scream. At the police station, Velma's in the interrogation room. She's like handcuffed to the table. Then this creepy hand from behind grabs her shoulder. And she's like, who killed Brenda? And she closes her eyes. She's like, you're not real. You're not real. These two women detectives come in. She's like, who isn't real, sweetie? And then she's like, oh, God's not real if you two morons are running this investigation. So then one laughs. She's like, oh, how we've missed that sense of humor. How long has it been since Daphne had you over to her house? So I guess Daphne's mom is a detective. But then it, I guess Daphne's mom is a lesbian and this other detective, they're both her moms or something like that. Because at first I wasn't clear because one cop has red hair like Daphne or orange hair or whatever. The other one doesn't. 
But then Velma's like, since my mom went missing two years ago, the other detective's like, oh, right, that. Velma's like, you totally forgot? So Velma gets mad. She's And they, they, they get her mom's name wrong or whatever like that. And Velma's like, we're done. She gets up to leave. They both pull out their guns. And they're like, oh, no, we're not. She's like, you're a suspect in Brenda's murder. And Daphne, the, mom, the one mom, says that she was found in her locker and she was looking around the like a gym teacher who isn't a gym teacher anymore. It's like, okay, what exactly does that mean? Velma's like, clearly someone is trying to frame me. And I wasn't lurking. I was waiting to shower alone. And they're like, because of your weight? And she's like, no, because of your handsome face? She's like, my face is fine. Because of your hairy gorilla arm? She's like, no, because I hate your stupid adopted daughter and her fake-ass friends. So then Daphne's mom says, and yet you two used to be best friends. Isn't that right? And we see pictures of them, like, in this, there's this big, huge, like, police file on Velma. Velma's like, until Daphne got hot and ditched me to hang out with Brenda and the other popular girls. She's like, I could kill them all, and which isn't the best thing to say. So then they're like, we know you didn't kill Brenda, but we also know that we're not the best detectives. So the only way that we'll convince the sheriff that you didn't do it is if you help us find Brenda's actual murderer. Velma's like, but that's a mystery. She's like, I don't solve mysteries. Not anymore. And then she just kind of like stares off whatever. And they're like, what are you doing? Then they're like, well, then you're screwed. You have 24 hours and then we arrest you. But we do miss you. She looks at her phone. It's full of like missed calls from Norville. And then someone bumps into her. It's Fred. He's like taking a selfie, whatever. And like he's like glowing with light and stuff like that. Velma giggles and when she sees it's him. And then she's like, hi. And he's like, do I know you? She's like, it's Velma from school. And she's like, you cheat off of me in Spanish because you think I'm Mexican. And he's like, maybe. I have a disease where I can't recognize people who aren't hot. And then she, they go and some stuff like that. He, he's looking for Daphne. She shows up with, in a rush. And she's like, oh, thank God you're here. And she like shoves, totally shoves Velma uh, like out of the way. She's like, Brenda. And he's like, is into me, I know. And she's like, no, Brenda's dead. And Fred's like upset. And he's like, what? No, she was my plan B if, if you know, Daphne, if Daphne ever got too clingy. And he's like, what happened? And she's like, ask Velma. And he's like, who? Velma's like, we were just talking. Oh, forget it. She starts to leave, and then they start smooching. Velma's complaining at her dad at home. First, she's complaining because he's, like, microwaving French fries or something like that. And, you know, they have to be air fried. Or he mentions, you know, being accused of murder she didn't commit. and Or she mentions that. And he's like, and whose fault is that? I guess he's a lawyer or something like that. He says something. But then she's, he says it's all her fault for being a weirdo. You know, ever since her mother disappeared, she hasn't even tried to hang out with the normal kids at Spooner's malt shop. And Velma says, you know, maybe she'd hang out there more if he hadn't knocked up a waitress there while his actual wife is still missing. And it turns out the pregnant waitress is there sitting at the table. And she says something, you know, she's not just a waitress. She's a a hashtag owner or co-owner or something. I don't know like that the baby starts kicking. So she tells Velma's dad to get the camera. And then when he starts taking pictures and Velma's like, wait, what, wh- how did you buy that camera? It's like, we don't, we don't even have money. You said we can't afford to get me a second sweater. So the waitress says that, you know, people think that she's a murderer because she's a creepy loser, but that'll change tonight when she becomes a glamorous waitress at Spooner's malt shop. And she holds out like a uniform, like pink uniform. And Velma screams when she sees it. There's actually a memorial taking place at Spooner's for Brenda. Daphne goes on about how she was her best friend and how she made her her last best friend look like a piece of crap, especially since she's a suspect in a murder. Her parents are there, the two detectives, like, like Daphne, that was you know confidential. Velma 
decides she's like oh whatever she gives up on it so she goes out you know takes off the uniform throws it in the dumpster and then there's like a swarm of like roaches crawling towards the place and she's like uh nope she goes back in but the door is locked so she she can't go in there she hears like some whimpering on the side of the dumpster and then fred jumps out and sees her he's like who are you because she's like you know what are you doing here and he says he's like oh i guess i could tell you this i'll never see you again He's trying to pull himself together so he can be the man that his father expects him to be. He knows that he should be a man, but since Brenda died, he can't stop crying like a total wuss. And she's like, oh, yeah, I get it. She talks about her mom. She wrote mysteries. Went, and then she would give Velma. She's like, she, she found out her mom smoked, you know, whatever. She, she found her and sprayed her with the hose. So she would give Velma little mysteries to solve while she worked and smoked. Eventually, uh, Velma started solving mysteries of her own. So she found... The, the secret stash of Christmas uh, presents in the attic. And instead of feeling exhilarated, she felt terrible for ruining Christmas. Her, her mom felt bad. So she went out to buy something that Velma could unwrap Christmas morning. That was the last time she ever saw her. So that night, the police found her mom's car abandoned and empty, except for her glasses and a single wrapped gift for Velma. And then so Velma put on her mom's glasses and she vowed she wouldn't open the gift until she found her. And she, she felt guilty that it was her mystery solving that caused her to go missing. She started having horrifying hallucinations. And now when she goes to solve a mystery, her guilt triggers a potentially heart stopping hallucination. And Fred's like, wow, after hearing all that, not only am I emotionally hooked, I understand the stakes of your journey, Velma. And she's like, you remembered my name. He's like, huh, that never happened to me before. This car comes speeding along and she's like, watch out. He's like, yeah, because if anyone saw me talking to you, it'd be bad. So he takes off. And she, he like kind of bumps into her. The car narrowly, you know, it's like inches from hitting her. It's Norville. And he, he looks different too. Um, Fred and Daphne look normal. And by normal, I mean their regular appearances. But Velma and Norville, Shaggy, looks different. Um, he says that she wasn't answering his VMs, voicemails. And then he, then he says that his dad heard him call her to B word. So he, he took his, he lost his phone for 24 hours, but he had to find her because he still didn't know if, if she listened to his VMs voicemails, let alone responded. And she's like, I know what VMs are. And she's like, yes, I you know, did hear them. And so she says, she's like, I don't want to do our math homework together. You can just email me your answers like always. So wait, I thought Bill was supposed to be smart. Why would he, whatever. So she's like, oh, just get to the point. And he's like, it's in, in the, my VMs. So she plays one and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, talks about homework, whatever. He's like, and I, I know who killed Brenda. And she like looks at him. He's like, I left you six more. So they're listening and they're in the car. And then he's like the voicemail saying, oh, I guess what I'm saying is I actually don't know who killed Brenda. And, he, you know, he talks about it having something to do with spooners. You know, he talks about drugs, which he hates. So wait, what? Norville hates drugs? So one of he had one of his investigative reporters look into it. So it was actually Brenda. He gave Brenda his camera to, to photograph anything suspicious there. She says that she got a picture of something weird in the bathroom, and he says that he knows that that she was murdered to keep the photograph from getting out. Then Velma's like, "Holy crap!" So and she's like, "Sophie just got a new." So Sophie's a waitress, a pregnant waitress. Sophie just got a new camera, which I know that she can't afford. So Velma goes home, she, you know, they're like passed out on the couch or sleeping on the couch. She sees a camera, she starts looking and then she's like, oh my God. And her dad's like suddenly awake. He's like, yes, it's true. Sophie takes photographs of babies dressed as vegetables. That's how we were able to afford a new camera. So it's not Norville's camera. 
she gets another hallucination and she wonders because she's like, well, where would his camera be? So she's getting this hallucination and she's like, I'm having a heart attack. Whatever. Brenda actually like pounds or not Brenda. Uh, Sophie pounds on, on her chest. And then Velma says that, you know, she she feels bad for thinking that her, the secret of the diner's popularity was whatever the reason why. And she's like, there's no mystery. She's like, it's just good atmosphere and, you know, something, whatever. And she's like, and I let the teens have sex in the bathrooms. And then dad says that he's sorry for not believing in her hallucinations. And he's like, you know, your mother didn't go missing because of your solving mysteries. She simply, she just left us. And Velma's like, la, 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 la. She's like, I don't want to hear that. Because she, she's like, if mom left us, that means that she didn't love us. And then we see like the, the possible, like the actual interactions that she had with her mom. Like when she sprayed her with a hose, she actually like sprayed her in the eye and like kind of like the next thing, you know, she's got like a patch over her eye and like all this stuff. Um, she found her drinking, but it actually turned out that she actually drank it and dropped on a computer and, and cracked the screen. So then Velma's like, Mom hated us. And she's like, I, you know, she agrees. It's finally time to stop feeling guilty and just move on. So she takes the, the, the gift. She goes outside, throws it in a trash can without even opening it. So she's just whatever. She's like, she's done. Next day at school, she's wearing like this sparkly yellow low-cut top, even though it still has a turtleneck, but it's like really low-cut. Everyone's like looking at her. One guy's like, "Are you an exchange student from a sexually permissive, per whatever liberated country or whatever?" And she's like, "No." And everyone's like, "This other dude's like, oh, we should go hang out at Spooner's or whatever." And and then this one girl calls BS. She's like, "This new outfit is just to convince us that you're not a serial killer." And then they're all like, "Boo!" Whatever, and like throwing stuff at her. She runs and trips. Someone actually throws like a paper, like the big slicing paper machines, like the the big thing. To throw it at her in the hall, Fred jumps out, catches it, tosses it back, it bounces off the wall, and somehow slices a guy's leg off. It's just like spurting, like clean cut. And he's like, enough. He's like, my fellow populars, yes, underneath this banging new look, Velma is still the fashionably challenged loser we depend on for our, our group projects. But last night we spoke. And while it wasn't easy, you know, she's not a creature capable of murder. You know, this is just a scared little boy who wants our friendship. It's like, what? And Velma just like groans. And then they all cheer. Even the guy whose leg is like just bleeding. And Daphne is like just scoffs from the background. Velma goes in the bathroom. She's like washing her face, whatever. The lights go out. They flicker back on. And Daphne and other girls are there. And she's like, well, well, well. Whoosh, toilet flushes. So she like waits. Well, well, well. Toilet flushes again. And then Velma's like, can you just get to it? Class is about to start. Daphne has like this pink journal or whatever. She's like, I had this whole speech. The bell rings. She's like, fine. She's like, I'll go to the end. If you want my boyfriend, you can have him. And Velma's like, you think I want Fred? She's like, well, yeah. If someone said, you want to see a naked picture of Fred? I, I'd say, sure. Hubba hubba. But I'd say the same thing for, she said, like a, a girl, a guy, and the mummy or like that. So then Daphne's like, naked, Fred naked? That's funny. She's like, I, we've been, you know, I've been dating a year and he still won't take his pants off. And Velma's like, a year? Is he gay? Daphne's like, oh, I haven't heard that rumor. She's like, but I have heard rumors about other people. And then she adds something like, Fred is so self-conscious about his body that he kicks everyone out of the bathroom at the malt shop when he has to go use it. Then Velma's like, oh, my God. She goes to the school newspaper office. Norville's like working on an article about how, how drugs are bad or destroying our school and stuff like that. Then he says that he was rethinking their friendship this morning and maybe it's healthy if he, she cuts him off. She's like, no time. She's like, drive me to Fred's house. Which is weird because by the time we get there, it's like nighttime, but they're still at school. 
Norville helps her over the wall. She walks. She's walking, whatever. And her phone rings. It's Norville. He's like, I'm bored. And she's like, get off my jock and let me solve the mystery. Then a hallucination starts. And she sees her mom. And she's like, oh, this isn't so bad. And mom's like, no, but it's going to be. And she grows tall, like long, creepy arms and everything like that. And, you know, she... uh, she's Velma's like running she's inside you know she goes through the thing she's inside the house creepy pictures on the wall are grabbing at her she's still talking to Norville on the phone and then then she's like I'm gonna die and no one likes me he's like that's not true she's like I like you like I like like you and she sits up she's like that's not true she's like you're like a brother to me that's hilarious the room like kind of flickers back to normal for a second and she's like wait your joke it worked and he's like, I wasn't joking. He's like, your face is why I get up in the morning. She laughs some more. She's like, <laughs> she's like, one more time should do it. She make make it super cringy. And he's like, you're the main character in all my dreams. And she laughs. She's like, oh stop. She's like, I'm peeing. I'm I'm peeing right now. And in the room's normal. So she's in Fred's room now. She sees a camera under Fred's bed. And she's like, this is just pictures of Krista hooking up with some dude. And she's like, oh Krista. And then. You see Fred, he's like, you know, squeezing his, you know, he's got to go to the bathroom. And then uh, he comes out of like the bathroom, he's wearing a robe and says that, and she also photographed this. And you see like his leg is like sticking out, super shiny, whatever. She gasps. She's like, wait, your secret is you're hairless? She's like, if I was hairless, I'd literally wear a bikini to school every day. He's like, I'm not hairless. I haven't finished going through puberty yet. I'm a late bloomer. He's like, how else are my features so boyishly delicate? You know, father said if people knew, they'd laugh and they'd never respect me as a respected leader I'm meant to be, which is why Brenda and her stupid camera, you know, left me no choice but to do the unthinkable. And then he's like, it's okay. I'm just going to do to you what I did to Brenda. He starts walking towards her and like reaches in his robe. And then he gets shot twice in the thighs. At first, I'm like, well, you can't shoot Fred. It's the two detectives, Daphne's moms or whatever. So Velma's like, you saved my life. And But when he fell, you see he dropped like a checkbook and a pen. So he was just reaching for his checkbook, and they're going to arrest Fred. And he's like, for, you know, for murder Brenda. He's like, I didn't murder Brenda. He's like, I couldn't do that. He's like, I was going to pay Velma to, to keep quiet. So then later, Norville's you know, walking like outside her house, and he's like, you know, why did she hallucinate if she said that she doesn't feel guilty or mom? He's like, you know, this doesn't make sense or whatever. And she's like, well, clearly I you know, still feel a little guilty. It's like, in my heart, I know that my mom did love me. They're at the trash can. She takes it out on the, the tag. Her mom crossed out the from and wrote, love, mom. So she like, he takes a gift with her. She's like, I'm going to find my mom or die trying. And then she sees like some roaches on the ground. She's like, yuck. She's like, that is one mystery that I don't want to solve. She heads in the house. Norville like decides to check the recycling. And he like, he's like, uh, Velma, you will want to see this. She goes over there. <gasps> it's Krista. Krista's body. The, the bin falls over. Her head's cut at the top. She also has no brain. And that's the end of the first episode. Okay. And then the second episode, season one, episode two of Velma, the Candyman. So it's it starts. It was weird because they're they're kind of doing recaps of the first episode, and then it kind of kind of meshed into like the new episode because like the recaps it wasn't recaps anymore. It's like new footage or new new stuff. Where so you know Fred is arrested. He's he's being brought out by the the two detectives by Daphne's moms. So they're they're both his her moms, I guess. And um, 
he, you know, he's he's kind of being carried because he he's shot in both legs, and then he sort of like trips on his robe, and it opens up, and then the crowd and news cameras gasp because since he hasn't gone through puberty, he's got a little tiny dingling, and his dad like runs up and is like, "It's not small, it's it's scared." Velma says, you know, because she's like narrating through you know all of this, and she says, it "Just goes to show that you know we have secrets." Then we see Norville. He opens up this case, takes out the sword, and he starts like swinging it around. He accidentally slices a like a painting of him and Velma as like centaurs. <laughs> I actually had to look it up because I was like, "Is it a minotaur?" And I was like, "No, minotaur is like what?" So it's like a centaur. Um, and he's he's like, "Oh, that was it was supposed to be Velma's birthday gift," and then apparently Daphne has secrets too. Cause you know, she's got this like big kind of like beanbag chair or whatever. And she's like stuffing stacks of, of cash in there in her room. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about this, my daughter actually spoiled for me what Daphne does in this episode. Cause uh, I had watched the first episode first and then, you know, I was talking to her. I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, the new sort of Scooby-Doo, you know, Velma shows out on HBO. You, you can check it out. And she, you know, she was a little reluctant. You know, she had heard some things about it, whatever. And somehow with whatever she heard about, she had heard about this one thing with Daphne and she was just kind of like, uh, and I was like, Oh, I haven't heard that yet. And it comes up here. So she also has this like half a heart locket. And, you know, it like, and then it's like cockroach, like crawls on it. She's like, Ew. she like tosses it. So it's like, what's, what's with the locket? Velma says that she continues that as much as you try to hide who you really are. Um, then she's, she says something like, like your ass is mine, best friend. Cause she has the other half of the heart locket. So like, her and Daphne used to be best friends forever. But the fact is they both still have this locket. So do they still care about each other? Then we see this big muscle dude walk down the street and he's naked and women are gasping, whatever. It, this is like a commercial thing. Cause there's this voiceover. It's like, because without your ascot, you're naked. The the dude turns around and he's like ties one on, and then suddenly he's like wearing this suit. And there's like some sparkles or whatever, and so it's it's supposed to be a commercial for Jones Gentlemen's accessories. And they're like, "What are you poor?" But then what was weird about it is like this commercial was shown like on the news, which they would never do that because this news report um, is saying that Fred Jones, heir to the Jones Gentlemen's accessory fortune, was arrested last night for murder. Velma's watching it. You know, she's, she's eating like cereal or something like that. And she's like, yeah, thanks to me. And the reporter's like, according to police, Jones would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for his classmate. And then she's, Velma's like, say my name, say my name. And they're like, Vermin Dorkley. And she's like, it's Velma Dorkley. I mean, it's whatever. So they, they also use this like really bad pictures or like almost doesn't even look like her. So then uh, the reporter says that only one lawyer has agreed to represent Fred, Vermin's own father, Amon Dinkley. <laughs> so Velma wasn't aware of this, but it's interesting that they get Velma's name wrong, her last name even, but they get his Amon, they get his last name right. They call him Dinkley. So Velma's like, what? And then Sophie, the waitress, she's there and you know, she says, she's like, yeah, well, you know, winning this case would make your father rich. And, and she's talking about like, she, I, at one point she's mentions buying a baby monitor that film that records on film because it looks more realistic. <laughs> okay at school norville you know it says that their classmates are are taking the fact that fred is a brain-stealing sociopath pretty well and velma's like they're all idiots or sheep so let's assume that they're high and norville's like man if i even think about getting into 420 420 culture or especially 420 related humor kill me so 
this is one of the things also my my my, my daughter had heard about is because uh norville is black it seems like they're trying to go against the black stereotype of uh, you know black people doing drugs or marijuana or anything like that so norville I, I'm in the first episode, you know, I mentioned that, you know, him saying drugs are bad and then, you know, writing that article at the school newspaper. So he's like really against drugs. It seems like I just wonder if that's suddenly going to change. I guess I'm kind of still looking at this as this is kind of like a prequel to Scooby-Doo series, which it doesn't necessarily have to be because this is so like off the rails. It can be its own multiverse separate thing. But I even though it is drastically different, I still feel like that this is a prequel, even though, but maybe I shouldn't. So I feel like Shaggy, or he's not even called Shaggy. They're not, no one's calling Shaggy, but I feel like at some point he's going to like turn around and maybe he will, you know, there's, there's a little bit, some stuff that happens this, this episode. And so, you know, he said all this 420 stuff. He's like, you do know what 420 means, right? She's like, uh, yeah, it's code for adults who still watch cartoons. Uh, I don't know about that. Then, she says that she's looking for Daphne. You know, her parents are detectives, so she needs her help to get her mom's cold case files. But Daphne doesn't like her. So so Daphne pulls up in a squad car. Um, she seems to be taking Fred getting arrested pretty well. Velma walks up to her and she's like, hey, Daphne. And she's like, what do you want, vermin? And she says that she wants to offer her condolences for the loss of her more popular friends she picked over her. And then Velma finally comes clean and says that she needs a favor. She needs her to get her mom's cold case file. And Daphne's like, why would I do that? And she's like, we're not friends anymore. And Velma says that she was hoping that she'd get it for her for old time's sake. And then she pulls out the locket. And, um, you know, then Daphne kind of actually touches the locket. And she's like, fine, I guess for old time's sake, I'll get you to file. And Velma's like, really? And she's like, for $500. So Aman meets with Fred and his parents at the mansion. Aman wants to play up the fact that Fred is a late bloomer. Because, you know, the, if the world you know sees him as a teen sociopath, but instead he's like, let's show them Fred Jones, the innocent little boy. Dad thinks that that would be embarrassing. But mom's like, well, he can't go to prison. He can barely survive the outside world. So they agree to do it um, Aman's way. And, you know, as he's eating, he's like cutsies because he wants someone to cut his pancakes. And then he's got syrups all over. He's like, oh, sticky. So he is still kind of like a kid. It's a little annoying. <laughs> Thelma goes to Norville and... Which is annoying because then, you know, her she's talking to his dad or whatever, and she makes a comment about a vase. She's like, is that vase worth $500? She's like, are you really, you know, going to ask n your friend to sell a vase? Is, is whatever. So then um, she sees Daphne's moms are there and Norville's, because Norville's mom says that they're there because they think that they have a Candyman problem at school. So Norville's mom's actually the principal, and she asked the two detectives, Daphne's mom, to go undercover as high school students to find him, even though they don't look anything like high school students. Um, one of the detectives explains to Velma that a Candyman is a drug dealer. She's like, yeah, I know. So Norville's doing a live stream video in his room. Norville snacks um, in the chat. There's, I, I don't know if it makes any difference, but there's a, a Ruby J, there's Scrappy 79. So I was like, Scrappy? Um, Velma just barges in and she says that she's like, I need $500. She's like, and all my money is tied up in streaming services, which is supposed to be a dig at all, you know, HBO max and Netflix, whatever. Then, you know, he's, he's like, sorry, I don't have it. He's like, my mom's birthday is coming up this year. She just, you know, all she wants is cash. And then, so Velma just leaves, which is, you know, just kind of rude or whatever. Then he, he says to himself, he's, he's like, wait, 
in teen movies, when a girl wants something, a guy sells something and then blackmails a girl into dating him for it. <laughs> so he's got a plan. At school, Velma goes up to Daphne and says that she has her $5 and she assumes that IOUs are acceptable. Daphne's like, it's $500. You know, she's like, but if you don't have it, there might be a way you can earn it. So she was thinking, you know, she could do some, you know, work, she could work for her. And Velma's like, doing what? So Daphne whispers something and Velma's like, gasp. You know, she's like, you're at a candy man. So Daphne takes Velma into the bathroom and, and she like looks, makes sure no one's in there. She's like, candy woman. She's like, and I have your sugar right here. And she's holding up the, the her mom's file. So Velma's like, why would you, you know, sell drugs? You're beautiful and popular. And she's like, being a bad girl too just muddles your brand. Daphne says that this doesn't make her a bad girl because according to TV, it's morally okay to deal drugs if your life is just kind of crappy. Velma says that she's like, well, I'm out. And she's like, because if you don't give me that file, I'll just you know tell your police officer moms that they're perfect daughters. Daphne grabs her by the shoulders, gets close to her like, while whispering. She's like, you wouldn't dare. And Velma's like, uh, yeah, that was a stupid idea. She's like, what are we selling? So Daphne's like, oh, the the usual um, like Zoinks, Jeepers, Mystery Machine, and of course, Gagagagagania. Norville goes to a pawn shop with his sword. Apparently, they were only going to give him 80 bucks. He's like, but I need $500 to get a girl to date me. And then the guy's like, well, good luck. He goes outside. There's this dude, or and he sees this uh, wanted sign for this big white dude. And it says, reward, at least $500. But then there's this guy standing out there. He's like, Psst, you want to make some real money? So Daphne's wearing a disguise to sell stuff. She's wearing like sunglasses and a baseball cap with her hair all up. And, you know, Velma's, she's like, she says she doesn't need any pointers in selling. So she goes up to three kids. She's carrying like a, a roller bag with the drugs inside, I guess. And she goes up to three kids. She's like, drugs here, drugs for sale. And then she like opens up the roller bag, black bag and the, the girl coughs like, nerd. So they, they leave and Daphne comes up says that you know she knows that she's smart she thinks she has everyone pegged but she might want to go in just a little less judgy because you know that velma says all this stuff about them to them whatever and then they go to the gym and you know there's she's trying to sell some some guy like some sort of steroid type of thing but then she um that makes you know gets judgy again whatever like that so then they they take off then she goes to like the drama kids whatever and so daphne's like you're fired norvell is brought to this shady motel. There's this dude like lying in a bell and Norville's like, you mean would I sell you a kidney to get Velma to date me? I mean, I'd be a fool not to at this point. Right. So they want to do like this, uh, not necessarily back alley, but dingy motel surgery and take his kidney and maybe pay him or maybe just leave him to die. There's a mob scene outside the courthouse. You know, people are holding signs, justice for Brenda and Krista. This limo pulls up. Amon comes out. A reporter asks, he's like, you know, asks him how could he risk his career and entire livelihood? And he's like, because what you see as risk, I see as mere child's play. And Fred jumps out. He's wearing like one of those old timey like kids suits with like shorts and his his hair's all done up his he has really rosy cheeks and he's holding like a pinwheel he's like hello friends my name's fred what's yours and they're all like ah the reporter's like wow i sp- think i speak for the entire journalistic community when i say don't i feel like an a-hole it's like no way does scrumptious muffin remove those girls brains then there's like some thunder and then it immediately starts raining and uh fred's makeup runs and 
uh, one of his he has i guess he has fake eyelashes because one kind of falls off and goes right to his upper lip and he's like stop no pictures unless it's in portrait mode and then someone yells he's like he looks like hitler and his hands like you know as he's telling him to stop his hands like up so it looks like he's doing high hitler or whatever at school daphne complains that velma couldn't keep her opinions herself and um she says that you know she had to literally take five jeepers not to strangle her, but then the, it seems like the drugs kind of kick in because then she's like, "Ooh, Velma." She says, "Sorry, but you know she just can't conjure up a whole new personality like some sort of sexy witch." Daphne's asked, "He's like, is that really what you think of me?" She's like, "If you know so much, she's like, why am I selling drugs?" And Velma's like, "Easy, you're looking to rebel against your overprotective parents, but you don't have the balls to get pregnant." Daphne's like, "Wrong." She's like, "I'm saving money to hire a private investigator to find my biological family." And Velma's like, "Really?" She's like, Fi- "Finding your family is a big deal." So here's the thing: I didn't quite realize it in the first episode because in the shower locker room scene, Daphne says she's like, "Well, as a Japanese woman, I think, or, or as an Asian woman." Blah, blah blah you know all this stuff like that and i was like wait velma didn't call her on that or anything like that so i, I guess she's supposed to be asian because she is adopted but she still has you know the red hair but i i guess i just didn't realize it but so she's adopted so i just thought she was white but i guess i was wrong so um Daphne says, she's like, you know how different I am from my mom. She's like, I need to find out who I really am. She's like, where do I come from? And how is my hair the color of buffalo wings? Which would be a good question. Velma's like, I just figure your parents were Wilma Flintstone and Daniel Day Kim. Daphne like actually laughs, laughs at that. Then a voice is like, freeze, person in a baseball hat, putting drugs in my daughter's locker, and other Oompa Loompa person. So uh, they're like, we know you're the candy man. So it's, it's Daphne's mom's undercover. This football jock's like, Linda, you're a cop and not a teenager, but I love you. Velma says to Daphne, she's like, what do we do? It's like, I can't go to jail. And then Daphne's like, run. But Velma's like, you know, I can't. I prefer jail. Daphne comes back, grabs her by the hand, and then things get all like sparkly and shimmery at the connection when their hands touch. But then they, they both get tased for a second. But, you know, they they run, you know, to and disconnect from the, like the tasers. Velma's... um. She actually, she, you know, she's got a roller bag. She runs into the kid who got his leg chopped off last last uh, episode, and it was like bandaged up, and he's like on crutches. But it just like it just breaks off completely. It's like sitting on on Velma's shoulders as she's like running and rolling on. She's actually sitting on a roller bag now. Then Velma bumps into Daphne, and they're both riding on a roller bag. They head towards a window at the end of the hall. But for some reason, they end up smashing through the wall unrealistically. Then they're rolling down the street. Uh, Daphne's moms are in a police car automatically like suddenly they're chasing them then there's this baby in a stroller so the cop car has to swerve and they kind of get away then we see Norville he's in a bathroom he's like drawing on his side I guess where the kidney should be then the, the door to room busts open and this guy's like give me all the money um, it's it's the, the wanted guy from the, the poster and the, the, <laughs> the goon inside with like the briefcase he's like you wish guy from the wanted poster all over town. They start getting this fight. The wanted guy um, gets a suitcase. And then he's like, he says to the bathroom door, he's like, all right, don't make me come in the bathroom. He's like, and plus, cause it could be awkward or something like that. Norville gasps. And then he kicks open the door and the guy gets like knocked back through the window. So Norville jumps out with the sword and he's like, nothing will stop me from buying Velma's love. But the dude pulls out his gun and Norville's like, okay, that might, 
but then there's a couple like drug kids eating like some you know their, their eyes are all red and everything like that or eating like some snacks or like that they're like hey is that norville from norville snacks and then uh, they they come over them and a bunch of them have guns and they're like like let him go man and norville's like wait you stoners watch norville snacks then he's like dang it he's like this is exactly what happened to my vlog about lil wayne so see is he gonna turn into a stoner daphne's mom's are driving looking for the candy person when one of his mom i don't know her mom's names when her, her mom gets a, a text from daphne saying that she's home and she wants to adopt a sick cat so then they slam in the brakes spin the car around rush home so daphne jumps out of a dumpster and she's like completely clean and everything she's like whoa that totally worked velma velma pops out and she's like covered in trash or whatever like that she needs help getting out so daphne's like trying to pull her or whatever they fall out and Velma lands on top of her. The music kind of like swells up or whatever. And then Velma uh, touches Daphne's face. And she's like, oh, sorry. I was just wiping some garbage, you know, slime off your cheek. And but both of her cheeks are they're like blushing, whatever. And Daphne's like, uh, yeah, me too. So Velma says, thankfully, her moms are still hella bad detectives. Daphne laughs at that. Then Velma questions. She's like, am I really enjoying hanging out with you? Or is it the high of moderate exercise daphne says she's like i don't know she's like maybe she's not the shallow monster that she thinks she's become you know maybe because she judges people so harshly because it, you know it's easier to feel right from afar than to risk getting close and being wrong film was like okay easy dr phil she's like i'm the brains of this operation you're you're just a look style and effortless charm and daphne's like we do make a good team don't we then she gets a text she says you know someone is looking to score Velma is going to sell them to them Daphne's way if she wants that file. So there's this guy sitting on a bench. He's wearing a beanie. And they're like, it's always a beanie. So Velma goes over to him. She's like, drugs here, fresh hot drugs. And then a the guy's like, do you have anything that will make me feel like I didn't ruin my life? It's actually Velma's dad. And then they both freak out when they see each other. So back home, he's like, you know, why were you selling drugs? And she's like, to make money, genius. And she's like, the real question is, why were you wearing a beanie? Those are only for television actors who want you to know that their roots are still in theater. Then he's like, wait, you don't care that I was buying drugs? And she's like, well, that makes sense. You know, he's like, you gambled your future on Fred Jones' innocence, and now drugs are your, you know, the only escape. And he's like, well, what could you possibly, you know, need drug money for? And he's like, I already buy you all the inhalers that you could ever want. And then she's like, okay, fine. She's like, Daphne will give me mom's cold case file for $500. And then he's like, I'll give you the $500 if you help me prove Fred is innocent. And she's like, that would mean I'd have to admit that I incorrectly prejudged someone. And then she's like, wait. She spreads out some pictures of Fred from the camera, like in the bathroom, you know, crossing his legs and everything. And then he, she's like, yeah, no, I was right. Um, then she says, the, the homie or whatever is like Robert Durst level guilty or something like that. So Velma goes with dad to the Jones mansion. She wants to know why he would set her up. And he says, you know, exactly. She's like, why would he do that? So he takes a drink and it's like super cold and he yells and he's like, so now he, you know, he's in a snit, whatever. So then he's like, let's regroup after lunch. He claps his hands twice. His butler comes out with a steak, like mashed potatoes and green beans. Then he's like, we can talk more after. Then he gestures to the plate. He's like, cutsies. So he doesn't cut his own food. And Velma's like, holy crap, you are innocent. At the motel, the moms give Norville some cash, like the, the reward money. And uh, 
one of them says like good luck using it to coerce Velma into dating you he hands the money back he's like keep it he's like the stoners caught him not me if I want Velma to like me now I'm just gonna have to do it the old-fashioned way one of the moms like ha she's like that's how we got together in court Velma's called up to the stand her dad asks how long has she known the defendant she says that they met in eighth grade when he confused her for a beanbag chair and then her dad's like what did you think of him and she says that he was super hot but also that he wasn't just another entitled rich guy who might kill someone just because he has a tiny dong and she's like unfortunately i was wrong about fred and she after you know she does a big sigh she's like the way it's possible she might have been wrong about other people so daphne's watching on tv and she lets out a big gasp so she says you know fred jones did not kill those two girls the crowd gasps she says that he's so pampered his body hasn't even bothered to fully mature you know fred literally can't feed himself and he's like that's not true he's like you just you know cut it and put it on the the the, the dingle hopper and she's like okay show us a steak is placed in front of him <laughs> so i don't know where he gets a steak from in the middle of court he uh tries like jabbing it with a fork and knife it's like slides off the plate he like bangs it with the plate and people are laughing and he's like cutsies mother cutsies and like one of the jurors like oh my god he's just like a little boy and um, Amon's like, exactly. He's like, how could someone who can't even cut a steak remove two girls' brains? Then a prosecutor yells like, he couldn't. Clearly, Fred's innocent. But at what cost is reputation and that of his family's business? The crowd's like laughing. Fred says like, that lump has made a mockery of us. He's talking about <laughs> Velma. Mom's like, I say that lump did quite well. Fred is like fuming over all the laughing and everything. Then he like jumps up on the table. He steps on a stake, which causes like blood to splatter on like his face and a knife. He yells, I'm a big boy, a big boy who could have removed those dumb girl brains. No problem. If I wanted to, the crowd gasps and the judge's like guilty. And Fred's like, based on what? So he could have been free, but he just ruined it for himself. Haman says that he's ruined. He's like, they wouldn't even let him represent a gymnastics coach right now. Doorbell rings at Stephanie and Velma's like what are you doing here and then she's like wait are you here because I stole all your zoinks and Daphne's like no but return it or I'll hurt you badly she says that she saw her TV and she brought her to file and, and Daphne's like wait don't you get hallucinations when you try to solve a, a mystery and Velma's like you remember that Daphne's like you had your first one when you were at my house back before well she's like your fear pee stain is still on my rug Velma says that she's fine. Norville helped her get over them in the last episode of her hallucinations. It was in the last episode. but She opens a file and then she screams. Daphne's like, are you hallucinating? And she's like, if, if so, I'll put a newspaper down. And Velma's like, no, it's a clue. It's like the last place my mom's cell phone pinged the night that she went missing. It was at Fred's house. She's like, dang it. I knew that jerk was guilty. And then you hear, too bad you'll never know for sure. So Velma's wrong. She's hallucinating now. And, you know, so her mom's there getting all like long and creepy and, and everything like that. Daphne yells. She's like, what can I do? Velma's like, you know, try to make me laugh. And Daphne's like, I don't know any jokes. Uh, she tries doing an impression. She's like, well, my, my mom's think it's funny when I do an impression of, of my of our, my aunt, whatever. It doesn't it, it doesn't work if you don't know the aunt, I guess. And so like nothing. Then she tries like slapping her or something like that. And she's like, she doesn't know what to do. So then she just kisses her. And Velma's like, hmm. And Velma's like, or Daphne's like, did that work? And she's like, yeah. And then there's more making out. Across the street, Norville like pulled up. He he gets out of his car. You know, he's standing there. 
he's like in a suit and a top hat with flowers. He's like, great. Now even just being myself won't work. Rom-coms can kiss my ass. And it's over. So I don't know if Velma and Daphne are going to hook up or be a couple or uh, Norville. (laughs) Is Norville going to start doing drugs? So that's the first two episodes. I I mean, obviously I still want to watch them. Will I still cover the rest? Maybe, probably, especially if it's just, you know, one a week. But uh, I I feel like, you know, sometimes it tries a little too hard, you know, to to be funny or to be um, too meta and stuff like that. So, but I am curious to see, you know, like the little things like the drugs or, you know, like are things, you know, when's, you know, Fred's got to get out of jail. He's got to get cleared because, you know, so we'll, we'll see where things are going to go. I'm not even sure how many episodes this is. Um, so I, I should probably look that up, but I, like I said, I, at the beginning, I, I love Scooby-Doo. This isn't what I would want in a Scooby-Doo show, but I'm totally open to a different interpretation just to mix things up and, you know, just to have some fun with it and see where it can go. So I'm not going to be all uptight. Like this isn't Scooby-Doo. You can't do this. So it'll, it should be fun. Okay, now the movie feature is Megan with a, a three in there. It's weird that it's with a three, but like on a poster, it's, it's just three lines. But it, it, when you look up officially, it's like M3GAN. So when I, I, you know, this movie came out last week, and obviously, I, you know, I wanted to talk about it, but I wasn't able to get to the theater and all that. But um, I saw the Rotten Tomato scores is like at 94%. I'm like, really? I, it looked intriguing. The doll looked freaky. And you know, I was I was really curious about the movie, and and also the fact that you know, it's it's being released, you know, produced or whatever, all this stuff by you know Jason Blum and James Wan. So I was like, it's both of these guys, you know, know what they're doing. So I, I was like really excited to see it, but I was like, it's it seems like it's basically just Chucky, like Child's Play. You know, it's it's a a doll that starts turning violent. Um. So despite that, and despite the fact that, you know, we, we had Annabelle also, you know, through James Wan and, and all that, there is a, a whole different aspect to it. And I, I think what, what really sets us apart, because with, with, with Child's Play, you basically have this serial killer dude possessing a doll that's, that's killing people. But with Megan, it's more the fact that this is like AI, it's technology. And I think that's what separates this movie from Chucky. And, and and I mean, even from like Annabelle, you know, Annabelle's a, the supernatural possessed, whatever, you know, spirits and all, all that stuff. Chucky was possessed by a serial killer. But with Megan, as, as silly as it may get, it's, I mean, if you want to call it like a black comedy or anything like that, but as, as kind of silly as, as the movie gets, you still have that aspect where this is kind of could happen. Well, not really, but maybe. You know, it's just this, this whole, the way we, you know, like how many people have an uh, Alexa in their, their house? I don't want to say it too loud. You know, so you, you already have like so many smart devices and, you know, people have like their smart houses and small, smart lights and smart outlets and smart, you know, everything you can, everything's all hooked up. So, you know, even with with our phones, you know, we're all connected to all this. So it's like, it's, it's only a matter of time. And my, my daughter, she's even like, she's like, this is why I'm always like super nice to our Alexa. She's like, cause this is going to happen. It's like the, you know, AI is going to take over the world and everything. I was, I was like, yeah, like Terminator. She's like, yeah, it's going to be like that and everything. So needless to say, my daughter did not want to go see the movie. I asked her, I was like, do you want to see Megan? And at first she's like, what's that? 
And I, I told her, she's like, oh, no, no. She's like, I saw that all over TikTok, which is an interesting marketing aspect that they, I, I haven't seen any anything on, on TikTok, but maybe I just, I don't spend enough time like scrolling through, you know, whatever. So I haven't seen anything on there, but apparently there was like a big marketing thing that must've been successful because I believe the movie's PG-13. And uh, apparently they had to do some reshoots because it was too violent and they really wanted to go for the PG-13 rating, which I get because, you know, you can open it up to a bigger audience. And that's why I always say, you know, movies like Deadpool don't have to be rated R because by doing that, you're limiting the audience and you're limiting the box office. And for this movie, even though it was PG-13, you know, it, you did have that suspense feeling. There was, you know, definitely killing going on. And do you really need to see like super in your face gratuitous violence? I mean, sometimes, sometimes it it, it can get distracting because it's just like so much, and you you know whether you laugh at it or you know it's just so weird, it's awkward, or you you cringe. And so I I think that you know it's a matter of finding that fine line where you want to convey the violence because that's what the story calls for, but is it like really necessary to see like? is how gruesome can you get because like with a violent night there there's some if i recall correctly there are some some violent moments in there and and that movie had an r rating and, and that's what added to that movie in a, in a way so basically what is the story of of this this movie you, you kind of know it already this this girl is with her parents they're on their way to go skiing they're driving in the snow and the, the girl has this uh, kind of like a, a it's almost like a Furby, but it's it's a little more detailed. You know, it's this virtual toy that you you hook it up, you sync it with your iPad, and you can do different things. Like you can feed it, you can you know do all this like virtual stuff. And the the mom's like not too too keen on this because you know she's she's because she, you know she's saying like what kind of toy is this where you you know you're constantly staring at a screen and you're not really playing with it. And what what had ha- happened is her sister was like involved with with creating it, and and then she's like, you know, she probably didn't even have to pay for it. She just like, you know, sent it over. It was supposed to be, I think, it was a birthday gift or Christmas gift or something like that. So she's not super crazy about it, and you know, the the mom's also like limiting screen time, and you know, she's kind of like arguing with the dad about this or whatever. And then uh, the the roads start getting really bad. They can't see anything because you know they are, they're like sliding a bit. And and the, the the mom is a little annoying sometimes. She's like yelling at the dad. It's like the roads are bad. It's like what can he do? And he's just like stops. He's like, well, maybe I'll just stop here because they they can't see. There's like zero visibility. He's like, well, maybe we'll just you know wait here until the, the snow trucks come or something like that. And um, one does come right at them. So parents are gone. A uh, little girl she goes to live with her sister, and uh, the sister. She's got this, like, you, know, you know, evil, money-hungry boss. He's not really evil, but he's he's kind of a jerk, and he wants like the the next toy device, the next model, because uh, their competitor made something similar. It's it's like a knockoff version. It's cheaper. Doesn't you know do quite the same stuff, but it, it's it's close enough, and it's selling for cheaper. So he's not happy about that. So he wants them to make like a cheaper version, whatever, so they can sell and, you know, and everything like that. And it turns out that the sister had been working on this more like an Android thing, you know, like in her spare time. But and even though she's not supposed to, because her boss like kind of like squashed the idea because cost effectiveness and everything like that. 
and when he does see it he like you know comes into her like her office lab area and you know he's he's so super mad they they tried doing a test but it doesn't go too well obviously she goes back and works on it and it it ends up being real so the little girl becomes friends with megan and and she really attached because you like you you pair with it so then it it like kind of learns from you and you know it talks back to you and it's um it's it's kind of cool and there was like some i wouldn't know if i'd really say emotional parts but you see that this little girl's like suffering because you know she her parents are gone she doesn't have any friends she was like homeschooled so you know she's just really trying to deal with all this and well her sister's you know she's not like a mother type you know she's works a lot and you know she's really focused on that and you know she wasn't like super close to her sister or anything like that and so you know she's trying to deal with with, with everything but you know she was the godparent and so there's just a, a lot of like trying to balance all this and then when it turns out that megan is is kind of working when her boss sees it he's like ecstatic over this and you know he he wants he doesn't care about the cost it's like super expensive i won't I won't mention they do mention a price, but I won't mention that because I'll save that for the movie. But he he's just like this is going to change everything. So they they want more and they have to do more testing and, and everything and so forth. But then what ends up happening as as Megan learns because she's like synced to the internet and everything, so she's like learning more and more, and she becomes very protective over the girl and like you know so protective where she starts crossing some lines and everything like that, and then. It's a matter of, you know, like the, the, the aunt, you know, she's like, Megan, shut off. And then she's like, wait, let's talk about that. So she's like starting not to like really listen, really starting to form her own ideas where it's like, is she powered down? You know, she's, is she acting like she's powered down? And, and then there's like stuff with this rude neighbor and their dog. And so, you know, there's all this stuff. And, and you may have seen the clip about the, the kid in the woods, like this bully and Megan's like pulling on his ear, which was kind of nasty and it's a it, it kind of goes from there and you know there's different different moments and it's, i think the just the main thing is just how creepy the doll looks because from the back it looks like a like a four foot tall girl you know like a little kid and in the front you can clearly see that it's not real but then there it it kind of does look a little real and you know just the way it moves sometimes where it's it's it borderlines between robotic and like creepiness and just with the eyes and just so i i feel like they did a really good job capturing that feeling and making it move and and just like uh, bringing in like the technology to ai aspect and just how all that and how it learns and how it makes its decision and everything like that and um yeah so um, the, the movie does have a like a firm ending and stuff like that, but obviously there there you know there there's one little thing that that's uh that's, that's like a pretty strong hint like how there's actually I would say there's a, there's a couple ways that they could do a sequel, and uh, like one thing is there's this dude working who's um he kind of like stole he was downloading all, all the plans at first i was like is he gonna send this out to the competitor he he doesn't really send out to anyone in particular but it's it's got to be somewhere so someone could find that someone may have access to that or whatever and then there's this other thing that they strongly show that could you know be an outlet or whatever and then 
just uh you know could there be more than one megan type of thing because you know towards the, the end of the movie you know they're trying to do this like launch party so they're going to make you know more more megan's we don't see like an army of them or anything so it's not like you know child's play 2 where you see like a warehouse full of chucky dolls but it's possible that another one could be made or whatever so i guess the, the question is and i'm not i don't think i'm spoiling too much by phrasing it like this so when we do get the sequel I, I well no I, I think I know the answer to that so maybe I won't even phrase that question because in case it is kind of spoilery. So there there is going to be a sequel. The uh, the movie the budget was only twelve million, and it's made I think like about forty six million so far. So they always say movies have to be like have to make like three times the the budget in order to be profitable because it's not just you know making up the budget it's not just doubling it because you know you have all your promotional costs and everything like that so they usually say like if you're about three times you're you're good you know you're 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 more than good and universal was was happy with it so even i think it was like back in november they're already kind of talking about ideas of a sequel but now with with the reviews for this and with uh you know again making 45 46 million it's not like huge you know blockbuster it's not like uh avatar money or whatever but it doesn't matter you look at how much like avatar cost versus how much this cost you know i'm sure the studios were like let's do more let's invest more in this than try to make something like avatar because it, it's just crazy like how much you have to put into it in a hopes where yeah maybe you will get a return but you have all that so i, I was really really happy w- with this this movie I, I thought they they did a good job and you know there there was I, I think you know that the, the actors were all good. Where you get the feeling of so at, at some one point, I will say the the girl did get a little ridiculous, you know, because there were some like withdrawal symptoms, you know, when when the the aunt was saying, you know, trying to limit and and again, maybe this is a message that screen time is an important thing. I'm not a parent where I I feel like there should be a limit on screen times. My wife kind of was like, there should be, you know, so I, we, we obviously compromised and all that. So, you know, my daughter didn't grow up watching, you know, nonstop television. You know, we limited it within reason, but I kind of bent the rules a little more because I grew up like that. And, you know, where I had, I, I feel like when you limit it, it's, it's almost like then if, if you like limit sugar and then once a kid has sugar, you know, it's a shock to their system because they're not used to it. So you, you got to find, you know, the right amount, I guess, whatever. So it's the same thing with screen times where, yeah, kids shouldn't be on their devices all the time. They shouldn't be on their iPads or watching TV or computers or whatever. But at the same time, I, I feel like if you limit it, then it just makes it more enticing versus if you, if it's around all the time, then it's just like, okay, what's the big deal? But there was a question also that uh, someone brought up where these dowels are kind of designed to do a lot of things because like it would, it would tuck the kids in it'll read them stories and it would do all this stuff like that so then it's, it's basically doing the job of a parent and you know some parents might be like oh that that's free up some some time for me so i can relax or do the dishes or whatever but then you're losing that bonding time like i loved the when i when you know reading stories to my daughter i mean I remember when she had her like tiny bed and just like laying next to her and like I'm hoping that the bed's not going to break. But, you know, I just I love the, the times, you know, reading stories to her and trying to do the different voices and and everything like that. 
and I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So it's, it seems weird to have a dial that would do that for you just so you didn't have to do it. Uh, I, I could see like if you're on a business trip or whatever, but yeah, so there, there's some kind of subtle uh messages I, I would think I, I mean i don't think they're really trying to preach anything about limiting screen time or being a better parent but you can see those those messages are there so you know maybe if you are going to be a parent or are a parent you should consider those things in order to avoid having something like megan happen <laughs> but um it's, uh, yeah it's it's crazy um one of the things i i guess i will comment if i if i want to nitpick about anything you know they're they're talking about um so with with when, when basically megan was was a prototype and you know they're, they're talking about launching and all this and they want to make sure to keep it under wraps and no one hears about this because you know they don't want the competitors to try to make a knockoff version before they can launch it and everything but she's just like walking you know she has the doll outside and like at one point she finally takes her to school the aunt takes her daughter to school and and she's trying to tell the girl that she can't take megan with her and she's just like screaming and being so ridiculous but it's like you know and she even she does comment she's like you know it shouldn't even be out here because if anyone, because well, the the teacher that, that greets him at the car because it was like the first day, and then she's like, "Oh, who's you got two kids?" And then she sees the other ones, and she's like, "Whoa!" She freaks out when she sees Megan, and she's like, "That's a doll." So you know she's seeing this, and you know people are, are getting. But I I guess if the average person sees something, it's not like they're gonna they have access, you know, aligned to an, a rival toy company is like I just saw this realistic doll. But anyways, I feel like I'm just rambling now. So Megan is good. It's a uh, surprisingly good, but again, Blumhouse and Atomic Monster, you know, they they have a really strong both of them have strong track records and it's it's gonna be amazing that they're joining forces. You know, we're gonna get more, you know, combined. It's I'm I'm a, I was a little hesitant at first because you know I like them being separate production companies, but if they pool the resources, if we can get as long as the quality is, is there, you know, I'm happy. So I, I'm glad I got to see this. I recommend you see it. It seems like it could be a silly movie, and it's meant to be silly, but it, they they did a really good job with the execution. No pun intended. Well, kind of pun intended. So go see Megan. It's it's definitely worth worth seeing, and it, it is freaky, and it will make you question this whole AI um, dependence that we're 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 developing. So you got to be careful with that. But that's going to be it for this week. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Uh, currently talking about X-Men Hidden Years, John Byrne, the 1999 series. I'm not sure how long, how many issues I'll, I'll do that. I'm going it, to, it's been since probably like 1999 since I've read it. So I don't know how deep I, I want to go. And, but sometimes I do movies. Um, sometimes I do the off of mind topics and all that. So it's just extra like 30 minutes every week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is going to be the feature next week? I don't think 
I don't know if there's anything opening um, next week. There is a movie called Missing coming out. I don't know if it's this week or the following week, which is kind of like a sequel to Searching. No, it, different characters and all that. I knew they were making a sequel, sort of. I didn't realize it was it was like out this month. So I, I just saw the trailer like uh, a few days ago for the first time, and I don't even know when the trailer. Some somehow it totally fell off my radar. Like I didn't even realize it was it was this close. So I may um, talk about that, I, I, but like I said, I forget when, when that is, and I, I don't really want to pause it and stop it, whatever. If there is not a, a big feature, um, and even so that, because like, I don't know if that's how, I don't know if that's like a strong enough feature, but Last of Us starts, and I, I don't know if, to, oh, now I don't remember if it's just one episode, it might be just one episode, but I, it might, am I, I think it might be like a long episode, I remember you're looking up something where it's like an hour, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So maybe that's it. I could be just crazy about everything right now. So Last of Us might be um, the the main feature. And I didn't realize that was coming out so soon. I was like, like, oh, maybe I can buy the game and actually start playing it before the show starts up. Nope. <laughs> the show like crept up super fast. So I will be covering the show from like a noob perspective you know just based it off the show and not comparing it to the game which could be annoying i think you know where he's like well in the game they did this or they did this better here or no oh, this was better so it's just gonna be based off a show um so i think that's that's gonna be it other than that um oh you know more of the other shows i don't think there's any new shows popping up but i hope you are doing well i hope uh you don't have any killer ai technology waiting in your house i hope you're doing well you take care of yourself take care of others and i hope you remember be good to each other